Hello everybody, this is Paul Miller, and you're listening to the Tuna Town Talks podcast, located in Venice, Louisiana, the fishing capital of the world. Alright guys, so for today we're on episode 2, and I have um, the very first guide ever in Venice, Louisiana, Captain Mike Furnett, and uh, why don't you go ahead and say hey Captain Mike. Hey Captain Mike. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I, it, it's hard to say if I was no. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that that I is wasn't the true. Very, correct, you were the first yeah, full-time guide in Venice in the Venice Marina for sure, and, and there was other people down here. I'm sure at one time, but back then, there were, you know, the guiding in Louisiana typically didn't exist. And back when I got into the business, there was probably only less than a dozen guides across the whole state of louisiana wow at that time. that's i wonder that's how many fact. i wonder how many there is now golly it's got to be we, in the thousands huh there's there, there's a lot yeah yeah way more way more wow so um to start off uh actually i caught wind through your son and a couple friends of mine and uh talked to you about it a little bit as well but y- you and your two sons went out yesterday on your bay boat and y'all uh sound like y'all landed a pretty nice swordfish huh we did, you know, and, and, and I've, you know, I've had a lot of great experiences out here in, in the Gulf, and over my career, I've, I've actually tagged through the, the federal government program, uh, 250 blue marlin, wow. and, and lots of tuna, and and I'm not saying that to, it's no, I don't want it. To no, be I want to hear that kind of stuff. I don't want stuff. it to be a factor <laughs> because it's leading into the the occurrence of yesterday. Yeah, and I've caught quite a not not quite a bit. I've caught several marlin that were let's just say giants. Mm-hmm. I've never ever 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 experienced the fight that we had with this fish yesterday. Really? Uh, no, nah. <laughs> nah. I mean, how uh, long did y'all fight it for? Uh, close to seven hours. Holy moly! Close to seven hours, and we got three guys on the boat: myself and my two sons that are big time fishermen with a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got age on me, but I'm still I, I still get it. Right, you know how to do it. I you know the fundamentals. Yeah, and I still get after it out there. It's so, all technique anyway. One hundred percent. Yeah, this fish was. We had him on the leader eight different times. Wow. And he'd take off three hundred to seven hundred yards every time, and it was like, <laughs> and you really couldn't see him because the water was right. murky on the surface. Right, right. You know, you could see the shadow when we get him on the leader, but not close enough or good enough. Yeah. To gaff him or spear him or do anything because you don't, at that point, you don't want to make a mistake. Right, exactly. So, You're, you have so much invested by oh, then. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like a sore behind. You get your butt whipped. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, you know, we get him on the leader seven or eight times. He'd rip off just so much line. And, and, I mean, it was all on hand crank, right? All on hand crank. Yeah. yeah, we, yeah. We, 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 we don't do the electrical reel. Right, reel. right. Uh, I believe, I believe you. Know, you it, yeah. it either is or it isn't, you know. And look. We've been out there before when after three or four hours, it's like, okay, we saw him. Mm-hmm. He, he wins. We yeah, give up. The hands right, up. Right, right, right. But for whatever reason, you know, we just couldn't really see the size of this fish, and we weren't sure whether it was a foul-hooked 150-pound fish. Or, or a fish of a lifetime. Or a fish of a lifetime. Pounds, yeah, yeah, 500 pounds. Yeah. yeah, you just don't know. <laughs> so... We had decided after you know, Stephen was on. I'm going to put it bluntly. We all fought the fish. Right. We went. We were, after three hours, Stephen said, "I'm I'm done." Right. Screw it's it. It's your turn, Dad. <laughs> he said. He said we could either we could either cut it 
or right. you could take it, or Michael could take it. Michael says, you go first, Dad. I'll wait. So I fought her for two and a half hours, and I mean, it was crazy how you'd get it. I mean, he would play with you, and he would come up, and probably we could mark him underneath the boat about 50, 60 feet, and then it was a stalemate, and we'd get him up to maybe 40 feet below the boat, and then he was just a stalemate for like 15 minutes, and then he'd just charge. He'd just take off. And I'm wow. like, dude, what's your problem? I mean, we're just, you know. My experience with sword fishing is all those fish have their own personality. They do. It's, I've it's never so s- weird how, it's, it's, you know, you can fight a 200-pounder for 10 minutes or six hours. I mean, that's just I mean, the way it is. And, you know, it's almost embarrassing to say that three talented anglers who fought that fish for over six and a half no, hours. I believe it, 100%. But, but it's, yeah. there's there's nothing else to say than, than that fish was more badass than we were <laughs> period absolutely period right right absolutely period i, I can attest that I, I actually uh last year i the one and only swordfish i ever caught in my bay boat it was 303 pounds well, that's i had a stud. i had one guy on my boat he was 20 years old he was from la and uh we hooked into that fish and uh two and a half hours later he came up but whenever he came up he was he the line went around both his pec fins and around his anal fin and was hooked back on the line hook wasn't even in the fish and he came up belly first that was probably to your advantage yeah absolutely i don't think i would have ever got that fish. i didn't have a harpoon or anything this so. fish was hooked <laughs> in the corner of his mouth and, and we yeah should. exactly and that's why that fish was he, he wasn't hurt he wasn't gut hooked he wasn't bleeding he was all no, in it. <laughs> you know you kind of you kind of hope you know, hate to say it but you kind of hope if you're going to go sword fishing and you're fishing in 12 13 14 1500 feet of water you kind of hope that he's gut hooked Right. You know, that's what you got <laughs> Yeah, you, you really do. For yeah. in the beginning, you know? But I remember some other guys at the dock talking about that when they first started doing the daytime sword fishing. It was like, where do you want to hook them? And a lot of them were saying, go hook them. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it really is the truth. It really is. You Be- want to go hook and, them. And, and we should add that, like you, you know, we I was in my 26-foot Triton. We were in a bay boat. Yeah. And, and well, let's first, let's put the things in perspective. You know, you get guys open their eyes wide in a bay boat. Yeah, like, yeah, right, right. Okay, we're not that far out, you know, we're whatever. Yeah, so for people listening, like, if you go to the end of the river, as an inshore guide, we, we commonly make 25 to 30-mile runs on a daily basis. If you run out to the islands. Yeah, 30 miles. Yeah. yeah. And it's open water. Does right. it matter whether it's 20 feet or 1,000 feet? No, not, not really. really. Yeah, especially not when a, you got rigs and crew boats and everything no, else the, around. The only thing about going offshore in, in a bay boat to me or even running to the islands is to make sure one your equipment is ready and two the most important thing picking the right day yeah you got to pick the right you day know, you and yesterday you was the day yeah exactly it was beautiful it was slick there. calm yeah and i was like i told the boys i called I, in fact i called steven in town the night before and i said i want to go sword fishing tomorrow let's do it it's going to be the day and like they're like you want to go sword fishing and I'm like, they, I said, yeah, because they're like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to come down. And right, right. That's how it started. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm glad y'all got it. Oh, it was cool. I mean, it, it was, you know, to, be, to fish with both my sons. and Yeah, that man, I tell you, I went diving with my dad probably over the quarantine, and that was so much fun because I haven't been scuba diving with my dad. I'm sure it's much the same for you guys and what y'all did yesterday. But just going scuba diving with my dad, and I hadn't done it in three or four years, I'm sure, you know, actually going and doing a whole day of scuba diving. And, man, it was uh, just no, those yeah. experiences are, are worth more than anything to me. You know, <laughs> and, and my boys work for me. And they work hard, and they're they're great guides. They're great. They're good boys. They uh, 
they're good fishermen. They're great fishermen, and we don't get to spend yeah exactly a whole lot of time together doing things like that because we're always working. So right, that's the I same hate- deal with me and my dad. Like if I come home after fishing a long stretch, it's not like I want to jump in the boat and go diving, you know. So it was like a it was a really good treat. You see yeah, that? That's, you know what's sick? Is I'm just the opposite. I'm really? <laughs> I will go the next day if I've been working 15 days in a row and go fishing. Really? My boys are like, just we're out of here. Right, right. We're out of here. It we're just depends for me. It depends what we're going to go do, you know. Like, if it's like a crazy experience we're about to go have or if it's something totally different where I've been doing the last 10 days, I might do it. No, nah, it's, it, you know. It, it, it is all in our blood, though. I've seen all the Mexican golf guys that I work with find out about a good wahoo bite they've been fishing for 20 days finally got a day off oh let's go fun fishing <laughs> well you, you cannot you're addicted to it it's you cannot be in this business and be good at it and be successful at it if you don't without, love it without it being in your blood because yeah. nobody's getting super rich off of doing this no you're nobody not. yeah nobody you know, is yeah people and think they are but they're I've, I've always said that too because you can see the ones that come in and like especially the deckhands and stuff and if it's not in their blood you can tell real oh, you quick tell, you, <laughs> i can tell within a week I, yeah back in the day when i had the big boat the teaser i could tell within a week whether somebody was cut out for it yeah or not. yeah yeah and then it's about it's, all it takes <laughs> yeah and then it's it's a delicate line to let them know that the same for you yeah yeah well i tell i tell everybody that i've I've gotten other people jobs and stuff i'm like man it doesn't matter what boat you go work on you either fit in or you don't and a lot of times that's what it comes down to especially with captain mate relationships and and stuff like that it's and that's a great relationship but it's hard work people don't realize yeah it's not a lot of people think we're just down here having fun all the time which it is it's a lot of fun but you gotta love that that statement that (laughs) they always bring up it's just fishing oh really it's just fishing well let me let me explain what goes in the after hours right right and you know because i get a lot of people that and i've been blessed over my career that i i do a lot of television shows with a lot of great people talented people and talented fishermen and Mm -hmm. had my own television show and you know, it, it's it, it's funny when 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 people don't. You know, I still wash the bilge out of my boat. I still wax my boat. Right. I still you do all that stuff. I still right? clean fish. I right. mean, I, you know, I st- it's 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 in your it's blood. A work and it's a passion. That's right. right. It's right. a passion. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna jump back a little bit. Those were some little sure. intro stories. But uh, so since you were the first uh, inshore guide and. In, uh, in Venice, or I guess you were first guide because you might, you did a lot of offshore. Then, I, right? Back yeah. then, I did primarily offshore. Right. So start boat. telling us like what, like actually, can you do you ever remember your first time fishing in Venice? Like, oh, absolutely. First time, like, absolutely. Can you tell us like who got you into well, that or I, what what happened? Just just go into it like that. I can that. tell you this, and, and this is a this is such a crazy story. It was before the marina was even built. I actually had a friend of mine that leased me his boat and it was only a gosh i don't know what it was maybe a 29 topaz mm-hmm. with a tower and everything and two volvo engines ran hot all the time right it was like scary sometimes <laughs> one of those but, boats you know, i'd go I'd, I'd go out of the feet because there was nothing down here there wasn't a, a, a you know a marine or anything and so this is kind of funny so anyways was there a road to get here there was there was but at that time it was there was no highway. Right, right. And uh, there was several several miles of it that was kind of gravelish, sort of say. Right. Towards the end. But 
my first, let's say my first tuna experience, I vividly remember. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say it was out of Venice. But I hadn't launched out of Venice, but I was fishing out of Venice. Right. And I would come into Venice and find a piling somewhere and tie up overnight just to turn on the generator and go to sleep. Right. But I swear, and I still have old, old eight millimeter of footage of it. And there were, and it's kind of a funny experience. I mean, the, the very first time that I ran across tuna on the surface in open water, not around oil rigs or anything, it was just as far as I could see. Were, I mean, the average tuna back then was 125 to 140 pounds. Wow. It was just nothing to it. But then I saw these big fins in the middle of all these yellowfin tuna. And I'm a novice at that point. I mean, I really know nothing. I'm, right, right. I'm you're you're, you're, you're inventing was, the wheel, right? Yeah, there is there no was, wheel. <laughs> there, was, there was nobody to teach me. It was just like, right. we're, we're, go, we're going offshore fishing. We're going right. to go try to find some whatever, dolphin or whatever. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, there was probably in that area, probably two or three square miles, no less than 20 whale sharks. And I didn't even know what a whale shark was then. There was 20 whale oh, sharks. Oh, at least, giants. This was the first time you went tuna fishing. For, for, well, first time I went, yeah. But I wasn't really going tuna fishing, but I did. I wound up going right, tuna fishing. Right, right, right. I got you. You were just going offshore. Going you were fishing. just going fishing. Right, and right. I, I, had, I had reels. I don't know. I think there were six-odd pens back then, like the red and black reels. Yeah, yeah, the $100 ones you can get from Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> yeah, but back then, I mean, I, that was that was the state-of-the-art tackle. Yeah. I had rods that were bamboo sticks. I mean, it was crazy. Do you remember what year this was? That would have been in probably 1979 or 1980. Really? Wow. And so... But the funny thing was when the, you know, obviously, and we all know now that yellowfin tuna and tuna and other pelagic species love to follow the whale sharks. Well, I'm looking at these fins and I had clients on the boat and one of the, one of the, uh, was either clients or friends, I forget, it was so far back. But anyways, they go, oh, no, those are, man, those are some kind of killer sharks or whatever. And I'm like, Man, you might be right, dude. You know, and, and I'm like, I don't even want to get close to him. You know, really? Oh yeah, it was crazy. Wow. So, and I'll never forget this: the guys that fish with me owned a wholesale, big time seafood company in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And we caught, I think we caught like 15 yellowfin that were between 150 and 200 pounds, and had no more room to put anything else. And we were supposed to fish for three or four days, which absolutely got cut short. Wow. So we get in. Now, their they're wholesale commercial fishing company that sells everything from A to Z when it comes to fish. Right. So we get to the dock, and I'm like, well, what do you want me to do with the fish? Are you going to take them back whole? What do you want to He goes, I can't do anything with those fish. And I'm like, what? Back then, there was not a market for yellowfin tuna. Really? People no. didn't eat them, right? Nobody did. No, they were... They were a, they were considered a trash fish. Any, you know, the really? the old time offshore guys, you know, the marlin. Man, that fishermen. makes me want to research it a little bit. Like, oh, where did the taste come from? You know, I, I have heard that before, though. <laughs> absolutely, one hundred percent true story. Absolutely, one hundred percent true story. They didn't even want the fish. Didn't want one piece of it. So now I'm sitting at the dock, and I'm like, okay. What do I do with it now? <laughs> you know, we didn't have right. cell phones back then. We didn't. It was like I got to find some people that are going to come help me. Yeah, do take, something with yeah. this. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's how it started way back then, and 
you know, it, it evolved, and I, I, I had my custom-built boat, the Teaser. The Teaser, I've heard of that. That was, you know, it was a spe- that was a special boat back, uh, you know, I had it built back in 1980, I want to say 83, I don't, 82, I don't really remember. Right, right. But, um, you know, in, in its time, it was the boat in the Northeast Gulf of Mexico, it did a top-end speed. I had twin Caterpillar diesels in it, 375s, and a beautiful tall tower. It was kind of a open console, open concept boat, but you know, down below was all air conditioning and had a head and had a galley and bunks and all that. But, anyways, top-end speed back then was 25 knots. I mean, it was you were tearing up the water if you could do 25 <laughs> knots. And yeah, really. So, but. You know, I was very fortunate that I had a lot of experiences and a lot of opportunities and wound up with, uh, like, especially mostly tuna, but other things. But at one time, I say that boat. I'm not going to say me because it was the clients that caught them, not me. Right. I'd say that we, you know, at that time, there was a time we had 28 Louisiana State top 10 records in tuna and Wahoo and a couple other things. But Wow. But, but. But yeah, it's, it's it's a big wow. Yeah, that's cool. But I never saw a boat. You know, <laughs> that's it's, what's cool. It's, that's really cool. You know, it's not like a yeah. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Did I catch big fish? Yeah, but I was the only one catching big fish. So yeah, I got the records. Right, right, you know, right. So is that is he? You know, is he really the dude? No, I don't think so. I think it was just you know. I think he was, definitely. It was, but no, it was that's me. no. It's still cool though because it's. To me, I could see that being such a different thing because a lot of people that get in fishing now, you know, they have somebody that teaches them or whatever. But, like, I remember for me just growing up with my dad and my brothers fishing, it's a lot different when you got to figure it out yourself because you have a lot more appreciation for that fish whenever, you know, you've been out there 10 different times or whatever it is you're doing and it finally works for you. That's that's the feeling that people strive for. It's not, you know whatever the, the and, other way and growing up i didn't and i don't talk about my personal life very very often but i didn't grow up with a father so right. I didn't, it was yeah. not like i had that opportunity uh, it was a hardcore learn I, I you know one of the coolest things too was and when the marina first started here so so when did the marina first start let's start from there i want to i want to say in 1985 I had moved my boat down to Empire. I had an opportunity to get a boat slip there, and that was extremely political and extremely hard to get <laughs> back then. And I, I would still thank Martha Battistella if I would hug her if I saw her right now because she gave me the opportunity to, to have a slip there. And back then there was two or three other offshore boats there. and. For people listening, how far is Empire from Venice? That's uh, twenty miles. Yeah, yeah something, something like that. that. But it, miles. but it was sort of the drop-off place. You had Battistellas, you had Empire, and then you had Port Eads. Right. You didn't have Port Eads was there back then. Really? Port Eads was better there back then for sure. Cool, really? cool as can be. Right. I mean, it was when I fished tournaments. It was like. Yeah, I want to win the tournament, but man, I want to go stay at Port Eads. Right, right. It was just that cool. But anyways, when the marina built was built by Dave Ballet, he took a big chance, and I say big chance because he, you know, nobody knew whether you know, he was in the middle of nowhere. And right. he, are people really going to come? 
Right. And then Dave contacted me, said, would you like to come bring your boat down here? And I'm like, man, I don't know. You know, I really didn't know. I had it kind of made where I was. And thank God he talked me into it. And then, you know, Dave was really good in putting together uh, press trips back then. And and he's actually a very strong catalyst on introducing me to a lot of people in the press. We didn't have internet back then. Right, right, we right. It's way harder to, yeah. We didn't have anything but print media. Right. You know, and we would do media events where we would invite, um, you know, writers and whatever down here to do promotional uh, stories on, on Venice. And it took off like wildfire. And, you know, I can remember the first television show that I did national television show was with Mark Soson mm-hmm. and you know he had never even heard of Venice his first time coming over here wow and he was yeah you know, he was off a big time saltwater guy that everybody knew so and I've developed a lot of media relationships back then that have still we we still keep together and I still do wow that's media awesome events here. that's really cool yeah I see all your stuff on Facebook you do quite a bit of that kind of stuff it's yeah you know for an older guy you know I kind of <laughs> like that stuff you know yeah I mean, yeah yeah <laughs> it's cool I don't know a whole lot about it but I, you know I like it right 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 and you got to do it yeah yeah you got to do it so through the '90s, you said what was the name of that boat? You said the last? teaser. The teaser, and then when did the? Didn't you own the Super Strike? When did that? No, 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 no. No uh, Strike Zone is what. Strike I mean. Zone was Gary Bonanno. Oh, okay. He probably came around. I, I want to say twelve years after I, I moved here in Venice, maybe. Really, 12, twelve years, twelve, fifteen years, something. Twelve years, probably. Wow. So you Super were doing nice it that guy. long. So, like, how long did it take for you to actually get busy in Venice and actually become? Oh wow! Really? Yeah, it took a while. I mean, like, how a, long? Like, like before you started running a hundred trips? It, it was a struggle financially. Really? Yeah, it was like, did I do the right thing here? Right. You right. know, it was like, is this? And I, here's what here was my concept from the beginning, and this may offend some people, but. I loved fishing so much, and it, I don't want to say I turned a hobby into a business, but I did it. I looked at it like nobody was doing it, and I said, there is a business potential here, a business. And throughout the country, what I saw was a lot of people that were in the slash charter business weren't real pro- professional, let's say. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I wanted to showcase Louisiana and South Louisiana that we had not only premier fishing, but we had premier captain down here. Right. At that time, I was the only one. I mean, I, I, I took it very seriously and, you know, tried to make a good appearance and that kind of good stuff and right. not get off the dock and get drunk and that kind of good stuff. Yeah. It just, it's a big deal, man. It yeah, really it is. I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad for anybody. I'm just saying I wanted to no, show and, more professional image that's, for this don't, industry. Don't don't feel like that at all. That was one of the things that I wanted to do with this podcast is get some advice from you for you know young guys like me that are getting started. You know I've been doing I've been guiding since I was 18 and I'm 25 now, so I guess about seven years. But still, there's a lot that I can learn from somebody like you. So I, I do appreciate you know you know emphasizing that for us. Well, you know. I think the most important thing is and to me, and it's just me. This is my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what business. Let's say you're taking clients out. You might have a glass of wine or something for, for you know, for right. dinner or whatever. But you're not going to sit around and get drunk in front of your clients. So, you right. know, I'm not going to do that with my clients or anybody in this marina. I just I don't drink down here. I don't yeah. 
You know, I just, I think for a young captain, the smartest thing to do, keep your nose clean, act professional, don't, don't act like, like you're something that right. you haven't achieved. Cause I've been in this business for 40 years and I'm still learning stuff every time I go out on the water. <laughs> so I'm not even where I'm, where right, I need to right. be to say that. There's a lot I'm on to top learn. Of the mountain because yeah. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. There's, There's a lot a, to learn. For there sure. always is in this business. Yeah, always. And like I said, the marina opened around 1985. Yeah. So where were we? Where were we saying with that? We were going. Well, you know, I think one of the the, the coolest things during that. Okay, time so period, you were trying to set yourself apart from other guides around the United States by saying, you know, we got professional guides. We got, you know, we're, we're showing up on time. And, you know, we we got got the, the, and we got the best fishing in the world that yeah, nobody right. knows about, including me at the time. Yeah, I knew it used to be a secret, fishing. right? <laughs> I knew we had good fishing, but I had no clue how great it was until I really got deep into it. Really? Yeah. You know, because I can remember, you know, the Midnight Lump. Okay, that's a famous name all over the world now mm-hmm. from Louisiana. People still think that's where we're from. <laughs> Yo, uh, yeah, yeah, that, and we, we still catch them there. Well, <laughs> let me tell you about the Midnight Love, how that, that came about. Because I was the one that started the fishing on the Midnight Love. Really? Wow. What and year I, was that? Probably 1985, 1986, whatever. It was, an, it was a seasonal Early thing 80s. then, too? Oh, yeah. 100%, 100% seasonal for the, for the tuna. Right. But let me tell you how I found out about it. Okay. I didn't find out about it because I was smart. I found <laughs> out about it because there used to be three commercial boats that were anchored on top of that at that you know during the, the fall and the winter, mm-hmm. and they came to talk to me on the radio. We came to kind of know each other because we passed by. And, you know, not like they really liked sport fishermen guys back then, but you know we we there's we, not that many people out there anyway. Yeah, you might like, as well make a friend. Yeah. Buddy, buddy. So so I yeah, and their ba- their main thing back then was grouper and snapper. Yeah. And so, you know, one day one of the guys called me on the radio and he said, look, he said, are you coming out here tomorrow? And I said, yeah. He said, do you mind picking me up a newspaper? I said, well, sure. He said, I've been out here for a week now and I, I just like to know what's going on in the world. And I said, no problem. You need anything else? You need a case of beer? He said, no. He said, we don't drink out here. How did he call you? Was it a satellite phone? No, no, no. We had VHF radios. Oh, okay. No, we were kind of technical back then, a little bit. (laughs) We had had VHF radios. But he was calling you from there, from Venice? No, 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 no. Oh, you were out there. I was out there. I was going by through there just Oh, I got you. And he says, if you're coming out tomorrow, bring me some newspaper. Bring me newspaper. Right. So then 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 he started talking to me on the radio. He said, man, he said, I don't know what's going on, he said, but last night we were catching a bunch of snapper. And we bring the snapper up, and about halfway through, we just get freaking ripped. And it, you know, things would just—they'd take them off. We'd come, we'd come up with either no snapper or broken lines or a couple of heads. And he says, "I have no clue what's going on out here." So I'm like, nah, "I got a couple of big rides on a boat. Let's let's pretend here." Right. So it was Cobalt Blue Water. And I'll never forget this. And and we had we had some we had some pogies on the boat because uh, I used to do chumming around block ninety three at that time. I used to tie up to the buoys and chum and catch uh, wahoo. I mean catch tuna, blackfin tuna, and yellowfin. Right, right there I mean, at the ninety threes. Huh? Oh, I just tie up. It used to have buoys, two or three buoys at almost every rig, and I troll in the morning and. Catch my wahoo with no problem. Then I'd tie up to whatever buoy I decided to tie up to and start chumming and catch fish. Right. And catch fish. So I had some chumming about it. So I, we started just 
drifted on in between the, the snapper boats out there and started chumming. And lo and behold, within two or three minutes, these monster yellowfin started coming. And I'm like, what is going on here? Is this right. weird or whatever? And to make a long story short, we, you know, we figured out that, you know, it was a seasonal thing. And then they passed... That was on, and then you, so you went over to the Midnight Lump to give him the newspaper, and then you saw the fish? Is yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, I didn't know about it then. Right, right. I was like, I'm here. He said he was losing some big fish and getting torn up tackle, so I'm going to try it while I'm here. I don't, he doesn't know. I don't know. I have no clue what I'm doing. We're just, we're, gonna, right. we're going fishing. Wow. And it went from there to, I mean, just on fire every day. And back then, I didn't even have to anchor. I mean, I I would, would just I would just drift because the yeah, midnight drift. lump was is a pretty big lump. Yeah, you know, it's a good sized lump. It's like a what is it like a half mile square? Oh, half at, mile? Least. Yeah, at least yeah, at least at least, least that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's a it's a big, and it was we didn't know it at the time, and it was live rock on the bottom, and we didn't know it as anglers. And you know, one day is when the currents were real strong. We started anchoring, and back then the first boat that the first boat that was or if you want to call it. My competition, sort of say, that, that moved into the marina was the magic, Mike, Mike Adams. Mm-hmm. Real nice guy, super nice guy. And he worked he worked full-time for, I think, Texaco Refinery up in Baton Rouge. And I'll never forget. And it was, back then, there was a little bitty trailer down here that was the office for the marina. Mm-hmm. There was one little finger pier, sort of say, that my boat was tied to and that Mike was tied to it. And I think there was two other slips or whatever. Wow. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't much. And so I never forget this conversation with Mike. And, and he was like, I think I'm going to quit my job. And he was kind of up in in uh, in the hierarchy with the, the refinery at the time. So mm-hmm. I think I'm going to kind of quit my job and do this full time. And I said, well, how much you, you know, how much are you making back then? And he told me, and I'm like, Mike. And it was a. It was a big chunk of money. I'm like, don't quit your job. Right. <laughs> he, he, he said, finally, he says, I got to. I just love this too much. I said, okay, I get it. I I, I did the same thing, so I, I get it. But it's, it, you know, it's going to be tough. But the, the the part of that story was it was just him and I. And I, and I don't think Mike came down until probably, probably 10 years after I, I was fishing the lump. And I'm kind of a, you know, it's not really a nice thing, but you know, I was I was trolling for wahoo and learned out learned a few tricks and was catching the heck out of them. And I mean, some big wahoo. Right. And in fact, I I was really blessed. I caught a 117 pound wahoo on 30 pound test. It was a world record. On thir- a light light line record. Oh yeah. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, well, then, is I, it, I bet it, it yeah. still is. Yeah, 30 I, pound I, line. That's well, crazy. you know, he, he, that story there was pretty cool because. Back then, Cannon Downriggers contacted me and said, "Do you use downriggers?" I said, "What's a downrigger?" Right. You know, we use planer boards. You know, they, they yeah. went down like king mackerel fishing. Mm-hmm. So Dick Jalila, who was the uh, basically the marketing director for Cannon Downriggers and media director, he said, "Look," he said, "If I brought down a couple of downriggers, would you be interested in putting them on the boat?" I said, "I said, yeah." I said, "But." really what is that going to do i said because i don't know anything about it he said well look i will come in and be glad to give you a hand and teach you i said well you know what that's the only way i'd be able to do it because i don't know anything about it so right <laughs> true story so yeah, downriggers can be kind of complicated uh, for sure. but i love fishing with down i will i will not leave the dock 
without a downrigger if I'm going wah, wahoo fishing. Well, right, ain't gonna right. happen. Yeah, it's fun. It's yeah. just it's just it's just my tool. Right. But anyways, he comes down and we go out and we were in a block ninety three area and within the first twenty minutes at I forget what depth it was because we were marking the fish down at a certain depth. But anyways, we caught that fish. Really? And I'm like, okay, teach me more. <laughs> Get me into this downrigger stuff because I'm catching Wahoo, but I'm not catching them every day, and I'm not catching them like this. Right, right. I said, so come on, big boy, teach me the tricks. So in three days, he taught me a lot, and then I went, taught myself even further and got to the point where I would run four to five lines on each downrigger. What? Oh, yeah. That yeah. is crazy. Oh, yeah. And still do it when I go out. Because, and it's it's tough, but it works great. But Yeah, you got to really play around with it. I, I, I tried doing it a little bit with the captain I used to work for. And he was getting frustrated with me because I was trying to learn how to do it. And he wasn't on the – I almost felt like he was on a different team than me. I'm like, come help me. You know, you know what? <laughs> it and, and, and it takes a while to figure out. You and, know? and it does. And, 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 and especially with downrigger fishing, you know, it, you – there's a lot of trial and error to, yeah. to learn how to deploy it and not have it snap loose. And if you go, how to stagger your lines, if you're going to do multiple lines on right, one downrigger right. and stuff like that. So it takes time. And if you don't want to devote that time to it, which there's a lot of captains that don't, right. you're never going to get to that point. Right, exactly. And you, you don't have to. I mean, if it's not for you, it's not for yeah, you. Yeah, it's not for you. Figure I, out something else to do, right? I get it. <laughs> I get it. But right. then back to the Venice deal, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, I know we'll get off on tangents, but well, that's sure, kind of the way this fishing. thing goes. Yeah, <laughs> it's the way fishing stories go. You can be go. sitting at the dinner table with me, and it's, it ain't gonna be any different. <laughs> so, you know, the the word started getting out by media, by print media, and uh, some television. There was very few fishing shows on TV back then. Right, you right. Know, it was TNN Turner Broadcast. What years Network. are we talking about? Like through the '90s, I guess was. So we're late eighties. At, at what time? At what, at what point did you feel like you were full time and you started? I don't know. I mean, of course, nobody ever gets say, rich, but like making your way, you know, not really. No, I would say by nineteen. Uh, <laughs> I would say by nineteen. Of course, again, I, I had it mostly to myself. I'd say by nineteen eighty nine, I was doing both offshore and inshore fishing then. Okay. And I was still doing most of the offshore fishing because it's what I loved back then. Right, right. You know, and it it, it was my passion, and I was a lot younger and all that kind of good stuff, and I had a, a, a really nice boat that could handle a lot of rough weather. Yeah. And that's the one thing about Venice that people, as far as this business goes, it's not like going to the Bahamas or it's not like going down to Mexico uh, and you, you putter out a mile and you put your lines out and you go you know there's a there's a, a lot of water that has to be covered down here and it gets very turbulent at times especially when the river's high and that water's coming out the river system mm-hmm. and you, you've got a south wind blowing mm-hmm. and, you know this might be the gnarliest part of the Gulf of Mexico when it comes to oh, the I first 20-30 so. yeah. miles going offshore mm-hmm. you know unless it's unless it's calm it's rough Right, right. <laughs> There's almost like no in-between. Right, right. But, you know, Venice started building up a little bit more. People started bringing their boats down. I used to give seminars all around and kind of encouraging people. Well, that might have been a mistake back then. But encouraging people to bring their own boats and fish. They, they could do what I was doing. 
you know. Right, right. You, you can you touch it. on that a little bit? And you said you regretted it. Like, did you not want people to come? Because, like, that's that's the thing that's kind of weird to me. It's like, you know, as gods, we want more people to start fishing. And we want more people to, you know, do this. It's like the, a double-edged sword. Well, that's, then, that's what I meant. It's not that I regret it. It's yeah. just that, you know, I look at Venice, what it is now and what it was back then. Yeah. And in, in, on one hand, it brings tears to my eyes. On the other hand, I have a big smile. So right. you're right. It's a double-edged sword. It is, man. And I, I've, done a, I've done a lot of thinking about that uh, personally just because. But if you look at the population growth since 1960, we have a lot more people now. So that's to me, that's, that's where a, a big part of it. And it's like, what are we going to do? Discourage people from going fishing just so oh, people no. can you, have no, it no, going no, no, all no, for no, yourself. No. And that's, it's a selfish thing. No, but like, I, I, know, I know the feeling that you're talking about. Because whenever you go find a trout somewhere and then the next day there's 20 boats there. Yeah, it sucks. Well, it, it really know, does. It, it, it sucks. You know what sucks about it? It's not that there's 20 boats there. The problem is there's two or three boats that are on, the, are on them. <laughs> don't, well, that are on them, but don't know they're on them. They're on the spot, but don't know how to fish the spot. Right. And if everybody would fish the spot correctly, everybody would be right. productive. Right. So, and I guess that's the learning curve. We've all been through it. And the same thing goes with offshore now. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a race to the, to the deep water platforms and be the first ones there in the morning it really is. and get that bite because once there's 12 or 15 boats on it yeah it's a different ball game yeah there's 12 boats with a sounder you have you ever have you ever heard how loud our sounders are nowadays <laughs> <laughs> they're like loud ticks and if you get 10 boats on top of it they're, they're going, going down they're going down you know that's yeah. funny because back back when i had the big teaser there was no such a thing as electronics like that I, the only thing i had was a compass on my boat when i started fishing really offshore. All they had was Lorraine C. Yeah, I remember my dad's you, always told me about yeah, that. Too. You know, yeah, you know, all you got was latitude, longitude, and you had to use your maps and do your plotting. But when they first came out, they were like nine thousand dollars. I said, I don't make nine thousand dollars in half a year. You know, <laughs> you, you know I, yeah, I can't buy that. But eventually, right. at one point, I was able to get a Lorraine C, and I was big time. I could start plotting my ways on the, the maps and all this kind of stuff, and then, you know, elected. Without a doubt, the biggest transition in fishing anywhere in the world, anywhere in the United States, and especially here, has been the electronics. Yeah. Whether it comes to fish sounders or maps, navigation. I mean, you yeah. don't have to learn the waters anymore. Right, right. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, with all the stuff electronically You put a stuff. chip in your GPS and go out? Nah. Here's the problem. If your 12-volt system goes out, yeah. a lot of people could be in trouble. <laughs> right. But it's definitely changed I've, I've actually, I was listening to a podcast, or I might have had a conversation with somebody one day, but that was one idea that they had in terms of conservation is get rid of everybody's electronics. It'll never happen. <laughs> It'll never happen. Well, you know, I, but just, say, just uh, think about that. You had no sounder, no way to get anywhere. You know, Those I, fish would have a little bit more of an advantage then. <laughs> well, you know what? I've, I've, I would love, especially, I, my big deal now is fishing you know, professional redfish tournaments from North Carolina through Texas. That's what I love to do. I'm still a competitive person, right? Right. And it's it's you know it, that's part that's my that's my thing. Mm-hmm. I would love, I would love to have a tournament where we're not allowed to have our GPSs on the boat. We're not allowed to have our fish finders on the boat. <laughs> that's a different ball game. Man. Go, that's find primitive. That's Go find primitive. That's primitive. Go find them. You know what I mean? Go that, find them. That's the difference between like hunting with a rifle or or hunting with a bow. You know, that's it's kind of more primitive if you don't have anything on there. I mean, it's changed fishing for the better. But back to what you were saying is, 
100% we want more people involved with fishing. Right. You know, we want, you know, we want, the, we want the young kids involved with fishing. We want the older gentlemen, the older ladies, the in-betweens. We want more people involved with fishing because it's such a great sport. It's so much fun. And, and it's about what, what, what makes people happy is, is creating experiences. So for people to come fishing, especially if it's your first time or you've never done it before, this is all a new experience for you. And a lot of times it's a very positive experience. It feels, it feels really good whenever you get a big fish on, you know, to me, it's always a positive. You know, so you gotta have, so you have, you have to keep creating this, these experiences for yourself. And I feel like Everybody should be able to do that, and that's that's no, why I love. Or everybody guiding, should you know at least mean? have an opportunity to do that. Right, exactly. You know, and, and and you know, we want you to come to Venice, and we want you to obviously hire a guide, and hopefully you get a good guide, and hopefully you come down here and it's your first time, and then you go back home and say, "Man, I might want to buy a boat, and I might want to go fishing, exactly. and I, I might want to do this thing." My my, my I can myself. name a lot of clients that have done that. They you know, come back that's with what me it's two all or three about. times, and they go back and they go buy their boat. And I was like, "Man, you bought a boat? Yeah, I bought a boat." <laughs> and, 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 and it's like they're has, alive all over again. You know, that the has guy was never like fifty years old. Me because you know? and the, the, the cool thing about that is, most of the time you still never lose that client. Right. That yeah, client, they're coming back. Yeah, they, they still, still want to learn. Fish with you. Yeah, and they still and I've got clients that have fished with me for over 30 years now that fish that have their own boats but two or three times a year they still fish with me but other times they go out in their own boat right and right. that's so cool yeah that's fun right I mean, yeah, that's, that's, awesome. that's just, that that's what this industry is about and that's and that's that's how people you know that's what fishing's about you know you, you start fishing you meet friends you learn things from them they learn things from you and vice versa like that's that's what's fun about it you know doing it with people. you know and building I've, relationships over the years is the, the best part i've always told i've always told my sons this 100 percent. i said if you ever get to this point in this business that you think you know it all get out Right. <laughs> get out. Get out tomorrow because that ain't the deal. Right. I and I and I told you we we talked about this a little earlier. I still learn every day something, a tactic, a technique, whatever. When I go out on the water, and I leave the dock hoping to learn something every day that makes me a better fisherman or a competitive fisherman. Right. Uh, and, and and if I ever lose that part of it, I. I don't want to be in it. Right, right. And right. I don't want to be in it. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. You got to stay in it for what you want it for, you know. You know, it's, it's it, it, and that's what's so great about fishing. When you first start, you're the you're going fishing for the very first day and you catch whatever. It could be a brim, it could be a bass. You might be lucky enough to catch a tuna, a marlin or whatever. It doesn't matter what the fish is. It could be a catfish. That excitement at the end of the rod is what drives you and from that point on from that minute on you start learning every minute that you're on the water right everybody yeah everybody every, should and one, one thing i'd like to say to cover just to kind of reiterate about that mm -hmm. one thing that and this goes to dads mostly to dads take your daughters take your sons fishing but remember they're not adults remember they don't know and don't care the difference between a catfish and a bass or a catfish and a speckled trout right. or a catfish and a redfish. They don't care. Right. They don't. They want to catch. They <laughs> want to catch something. And when that something gets on the end of the line, that's their trophy. Right. It doesn't matter. So, yeah. do, so don't, don't take them out on your 
big trophy t- trout trip. Yeah, or your or your first time, you know, your big go, tuna don't trip. Take them out yeah. There. yeah, don't don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Because you get, you're gonna you got it. Yeah, you're gonna lose them. They're not gonna like it. You got to yeah. make it enjoyable. You have to make it a really fun experience for them. That's where when I ever get a bunch of kids on the boat, you know where I you know where I go a lot of times, East Bay. Oh, I, <laughs> they love it. There's, there's a thousand rigs out there, and there's a thousand different types of fish. Yeah, it's, put some it's put awesome. some shrimp on, put some squid on, do whatever, and you're gonna catch a fish. Yeah, you're gonna catch them, and just seeing them light up, man, I love it. I and, really and, do. And, I love it. And, and I think that as you grow in, grow into fishing with your knowledge and whether you become a professional tournament angler whether you become a captain whether you become a guide inshore offshore never lose that perspective that the person that you're fishing with is there he's there to learn something too so teach him something right right you right. know teach him something and have have patience and especially if you have kids it ain't about going out and catching a limit, guys. Right. It's, about, it's not. It's not. And it's I, about I that little boy that and girl that's on, yeah. the, on the boat, it's on really the bow. Not. <laughs> it's not. It's, we all used to count our days of success whether we caught our limits. Yeah. I passed that a long time ago. That If you do, you do. Fine. If you don't, that ain't. That, yeah. Have a great day on the water. Right. It's all about fishing. I actually took a really good piece of advice from a captain one time. Uh, he was actually on a podcast, and he said – as a guide, and he was actually, I think he was a stream guide up somewhere up north, but he says, as a guide, you need to always read your people all day long. You got to read your people from the time you meet them, from the time, because if, if he's having a bad day, if he's sunburned, if he's, you know, whatever's going on, you got to you gotta read that. You got to know that. If you got kids on the boat and, you know, you're, you're hell-bent on get, trying to do something weird and, and that's kind of cool for you, don't do that. <laughs> like you said, go catch whatever you know, for you those know, people. Well, you know? And again, and I'm not going to categorize different guides or whatever, but one thing that I personally won't do and my sons won't do and the captains that work for me won't do, one thing that I, that I don't agree with and don't approve of is when I see a guide up on the bow of the boat with his trolling motor having the front cast and catching – quote the limit for the day and then the clients wound up catching three or four fish we don't we don't we do not make any casts. we don't fish at all with our clients really not allowed to not allowed to not unless we have a client says hey i want you to fish with me well you're gonna have to talk me into it because it ain't about us it's not about the limit it's about you i don't care whether you miss the fish lose the fish catch the fish i want you to enjoy your time right now if you need me to teach you how to maybe use a little bit better technique for what we're doing for the day. I'll be glad to show you with a couple casts. Yeah. But I don't want to catch the fish in front of you. Right, right. So as a new guide coming in, don't make it a hobby turned into something to pay for your boat and your insurance and stuff like that. And so you get to go fishing and you're up on the bow. I just, I yeah. don't think, I don't think that's, I don't think that's what this industry is about. That's yeah, that's My for opinion. you. That, that's, that doesn't mean that it's right. Right, right. I, I see. I, I see. I see your side of that for sure. Um, for me, for me, the way I look at it, because I've I've thought about that too. Especially, I started off doing offshore, and then I stepped down to inshore, and you know, I started learning all the inshore, and then got people on the boat, and that was one of the things I asked a lot of guys, like, "Do you fish?" And some said yes, some said no, kind of like what you said, and. Uh, I kind of just said, well, I'm just going to make it my own thing. And I fish sometimes mainly because I feel like if I'm not having fun, it, odds are that they might not be either. And I like, you know, it's – and when I say having fun, I could have fun having a conversation with somebody. That's yeah. the way I am. Yeah. 
So, but if, you know, whatever, I want to fish a little bit. Well, I don't you, have a problem grabbing a line. A lot of times, are you going to take care. the bow of the boat? No. Okay, no. then that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to shove them out the way. No, no, no. Well, then, 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 then I'm all for that. That's yeah. okay. Because I've been on guided trips. I was on a guided trip in uh, the Bahamas spearfishing one time, and I was all I wanted the whole time was a nine pound hogfish. That's all I wanted. Finally got on him. The guy came right over the. T- I was laying on the bottom. I was going up to the fish. The guy came right over the top of me and shot him. <laughs> your guide. The guide. Now, now, now that ruins your whole vacation. Oh, I was, I was. You're devastated. I was mad. <laughs> well, and you should be, because yeah. you're there for the. Re- he should be tapping you on your shoulder, yeah. pointing to you. Right. Do you see him? Do you, Do you see, see him? him? Yeah. Go get him. Go get him. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I mean, I don't have a problem with the guide fishing, but. Fish out the back of the boat or something. Let, yeah, yeah. You know, let it at least yeah. feel the people. Let let your client. Like you said, you got to read your people. You, you got to read, read your people. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And there's some that 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 want you to fish. Yeah, they want you. They legitimately yeah. like. Oh. They want you to have. They want you to fish the whole time do with it. them. Yeah. Do yeah. it then, because because you're part of their group. Right. At that right. point. Yeah. You're, you're that's your friend. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're you're fishing as friends. Right. And that's what it should be. I get it. Yeah. I and mean, that's that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely see the the happy medium with that for sure. But uh, so like, let's go ahead and start moving along with the timeline uh, we started on. I guess we'll keep we keep going back to. So it's hard um, not to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's so interesting to me. Because you know, being down here for whatever six or seven years now, I want to know the history of this place. So uh, please continue with the. Well, I think it was nineteen eighty nine. Maybe I was the first one to bring in lodging for anglers that, to come down really and it, yeah I bet that was a game changer for sure. oh it was a big game changer because you know they, they had a couple small hotels down here but nothing in the marina nothing on the water and there, there was no condos down here and there was no cabins to rent and it you know it it, it, it was uh, called the the fun barge it started out causing the fun barge and then we changed the name to the teaser clubhouse and it could sleep back then, I think, uh, I want to say like 21 people. And I had a lady that worked for me for 25 years named Miss Gloria. She was part of my family. She was just a great woman. Mm-hmm. And and she was from down here. And she started you know, doing the cooking and the cleaning. And and it just it was a cool thing. And, uh, you know, I'll never, I'll never forget that because it was, it was such a, such a leap at that time because you know it's like and it was it was it was nice but it wasn't anything but it was the Taj Mahal sort of say for anglers in Venice because you and I allowed you know I had people that stayed there that weren't my clients and they had their own boats and a whole nine yards so we developed a lot of great relationships and then uh, I actually maintained that that facility till Katrina and Katrina took that out and built what we have now, you know, the Redfish Lodge of Louisiana, mm-hmm. which to me is a cool place to hang out. You know, downstairs to me is just you so still much have, You still have the Redfish Lodge? This is it. This is the Redfish this Lodge. This is the Redfish okay. Lodge here. The, the, other one was, the other one was the Teaser Clubhouse. No, that got destroyed. Oh, okay. okay. That, got, that, that, got, that, that got totally demolished. Gotcha. And really at that time, you know, after Katrina came through, I was at that point where do I want to really – continue in this business right and my boys were still in well they de- they were in high school and I, and I'd always developed this business hopefully for them to be able to take it over at some point in their lives yeah and I was like you know is it really worth 
doing this because insurance companies we all know screwed me. It just, right, it, it, right. It, yeah, I just That's what happened to a lot of people. Oh, it happens to everybody. Stuff, yeah. So I had to take money that I had saved up in retirement and savings and everything to build what now is the Redfish Lodge. And you know, it was a lot of money. And it was a lot of money because there was an interim period for over a year and a half where we didn't even have electricity down here. So there was... Yeah. We, we built this place with, with generators. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of cash that I had... So to just to just to back up a little bit, you know, up until Katrina, say from like '95 till 2005, that 10-year yep. span was it? Was that a big incline for Venice? Was that a? Yeah, I, I would say it was. Like in 2000, how many guides were there? Say not many. Not many. Like would would Peace Marvel, Kevin Beach, any of those guys? Billy yeah, Wells you know, Peace Marvel came around. I don't. Let's. Peace Marvel, I would guess, and I'm just guessing, would have been around, what's, what are we, 21? So maybe 2011 or so. Oh, really? So it was after Katrina. Um, no, I don't, I mean, I, no, I don't, no, maybe not. I remember Peace Marvel, he worked for a, let's say a lodge that was out at Breton Island, and all he did was we shuffle the clients back and forth from Cypress Cove Marina to <laughs> the, the lodge. <laughs> and then uh, he, uh, well, I'll tell you when he, when it, no, he started, he probably started showing up, uh, uh, in, it was in the 90s. 90s? Yeah. yeah it was, had to be 95, maybe. Okay. Man, that would have been about right. But there still wasn't, I mean, and he really, it wasn't a guide then. And right, then, it was it probably wasn't full-time. I mean, no. like, as for now, like, you know, certain guides can get on. You, you do the right Google advertising and stuff, you know, they're overnight. full-time. Overnight, they're full-time, and it, it's kind of... It's that's, scary. That's, that's why I wanted to start this podcast. That it's, was a huge reason. A huge reason is because, like, people can literally go find a money man, buy a boat, start Google ads, and then... They're getting all the business, and they're fresh out the gate. You know what I mean? Nobody's back. You know what I okay. mean? Okay, you, 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 you've been and down so here for six or seven years. You, you, right. You know, you know for a fact there's a lot of them down here. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And uh, and overnight, I can build a website and I can build a social media Facebook page and look like I am the cat's meow. Right. I mean, put every board shot up there and all that. <laughs> you know, it's, and I see, I see, I know guys that kind of flip flop between Texas and here and maybe Florida, whatever. And they advertise that they've got 15 guides to work underneath them and they've got lodging this and they got lodging. They don't own a thing, you know. And I'm, what? They're just smarter businessmen to me, I guess, whatever. But to me, that's not what this industry is about. You know, if right. you've got. If you've got ten or twelve guys that, that do work underneath you, good for you. Yeah, you know that's 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 a professional business. But don't be greedy in the beginning, and don't. And that goes for anything in life. Right. Don't right. pretend to be something that you're not. That you're yet. not. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know that's. I mean, I I can't go put on a, a nice I white guess... coat and walk into West Jefferson Hospital and say, "Here I am, boys, ready for surgery. Who am I working on today?" Right. Yeah. It ain't gonna happen. And, and that's why I wanted to make this podcast to like really, you know, try to get people to, to see the personality of the captain that they're going with and maybe hear their experiences that they've had so that they know they're getting on a boat with a good guy that, that
that they already know the po- the personality of a little bit, you know, their history. So, and, there's and I think l- it's a good thing, you know, because like I I I I see I see people doing what we we're just talking about, you know, come and open a business, and they and then they start getting. Okay, it, you you've only been here for six or seven years. How does that? How 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 do you? What do you? What's your opinion on that? Um, for somebody that wants to be a charter captain, I would tell them. Uh, to first go get start at the bottom that anything you do i feel like you should you should go get a work for somebody go work for somebody and learn learn how to deal with with clients learn how to uh you know learn learn some fishing techniques and stuff and how a charter actually goes down and then uh like what i did is uh you start networking you make friends uh you make friends within the within the business that will scratch your back and hopefully one day you can scratch theirs and that's how I got into the business. You know, I, I tried to uh, always be helpful and uh, help help everybody that I could that I that I wanted and try to be impressionable to people. And uh, and you that's know, what we're supposed to be in life in general. Yeah, whatever exactly. You do, yeah, you're supposed to be good people. You're supposed to and and always have that. You know, you want to. That's that's a big thing for me. You know, you got to be a good person and and surround yourself with good people to where you can you can make something really happen for yourself and. And that's and that's why I really enjoy working for Mexican Gulf Fishing Company. They they're really they have that brotherhood camaraderie they do. about them, and, and it's and, and it's it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of knowledge that can be learned there, right? And I and I and I'll be honest, like you know, coming down here as a diver, um, divers have a really bad name in Venice. They they've they always have had from fishermen's aspect looking at divers, they've they've had a pretty bad name over the years, and. I never got in any involved in any dive clubs. I didn't go diving with certain people, mainly because I wanted to stay friends with the, my fishing people. You know what I mean? I didn't. I didn't want. I didn't want that well, conflict to come you, into it. But you knew by what you're just saying. Because I didn't agree with what the divers there were you go. doing. You knew. I knew it was bad. I knew it was bad. I knew that's not something. That's not me. Well, you know, when you see a diver goes down and spear fishes a tarpon or something that really doesn't need to be shot. Right. That's, that's not what this sport's about. And that's what I can tell by just what you're saying. That's what you were that's against. That's exactly what I'm against. I'm, did, a, I'm against the senseless killing. I'm against. Enveloped into that. Exactly. I didn't want to be categorized with those people. A lot of those people are and still I, my friends because I make friends I with those you. people. Yeah, they're, they're, they're still fun friends I've to be I've killed too many them. fish. I have myself. I've done it before. You just said that you killed 15 yellowfin in one day the first time ah, you ever did it. Yeah. Everybody's done Everybody's it. Done Everybody's done it. Everybody's done it, but we have to learn to do good and keep moving forward with doing good things. Oh, no, I agree with you. Yeah. And I think with your attitude, obviously, uh, my opinion is you will be a very good captain and you will you will be very successful in the business because thank what you, you ju- I really appreciate that. Oh, it's the truth. What you just said is one hundred percent correct, and they really should listen to you more than me because you're <laughs> you're a younger guy that's gone got yeah into I went, this went business through it yeah I went through and, it yeah. and, and you know and see and you know you know you no know, I, I commend you for that I, yeah. I, I respect and admire you for that attitude. Oh, I have nothing but respect for you being the first guy and everything. I know well, we have being the first guy really, you know, to me. No, it, but it's cool. You 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 made the legacy of Venice. It's it's uh, somebody had to do it. Like you said, you had to make the transition to bring your boat from Empire to here. At no point did I ever think it was ever going to get to this. Hey, to be but with you. 
if you hadn't have done that, just who knows? You know what I mean? Who knows how long it would have taken for people to end up down or there? If it, or, or if it ever would have happened. And you really, know, really yeah, but, yeah, I, I could take some credit for that, but I got to give most of the credit to Dave Ballet to have the guts to open up the marina down here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to happen. Sure, it's, it it's, it's now, like you it? just said, it's a network. You work together with people. People work with you. He doesn't expose me to or introduce me to certain sports writers or uh, whatever, you know, and, and then I take the ball from there and entertain them. You know, right. everybody gets a door open sometime. You've got you've to take opportunity for it, but you've got to do it right. Right, right. You know, and, and you've got to, like you said, the most important thing that you said was treat people right. Right. Yeah, you, know, you have to. You have to be good. You have to be a good When your person. head goes down on the, the, the pillow at night, you got to go to sleep thinking that, I, I gave my clients a hundred percent. I gave them a good time. Man, we caught a bunch of fish today, but we might not catch a fish tomorrow. But I want them to have just as good time tomorrow as they did today. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Our hardest days on the water as a guide is when the fish aren't biting. Yeah. No you doubt. Know, because yeah. when the fish are biting, it's easy. Right. You know, but we when need, they're not, it's stressful. You perform on yeah. the days that it's not. Right. It's yeah. stressful, and we take it. And a lot of my clients have realized this over the year and, you know, finally told me, hey, man, relax, don't worry about it. Right. But, but I, my sons, you, I'm sure, we take it far more personally when we can't put our people on fish. Yeah, it's your job. You're that's supposed our, to, you're supposed we to don't, produce. We want you to catch fish. Yeah. You know, and it's, that's a tough day for us. No, no, no doubt. It is definitely the toughest whenever <laughs> they're not biting. But uh, so... Um, I guess we can go ahead and jump to Katrina. So Katrina hit and uh, washed away your camp, and it sounded like you had to take out a lot of money out of your savings. Yeah, to you know, I was this. actually fishing a ESPN Redfish Cup tournament in uh, Lake Charles, and Katrina came into the Gulf. And at that point, they said that Katrina was going to go into the panhandle of Florida, wasn't going to come to Louisiana at all. In fact, the anglers who were from Florida, the tournament director said, look, pack your old stuff up and go home and secure your stuff. Guys from Texas, Louisiana, whatever, you could continue with the tournament. If you want to leave, you can leave, but whatever. And I stayed, and I stayed more importantly because one, there was a girl, a young girl that was eight years old that had won a trip that ESPN was giving away to fish with one of the professional anglers the last day if they didn't make the cut. And she, I don't, I forget where she came from, maybe Arkansas, whatever, with her parents. So anyways, the guy that she was going to fish with was a, a Florida angler, and he, he left. He had to leave. And I'll never forget it. I, was, I had just finished weighing in my fish, and they were going to cancel the, the last day of the tournament. Anyways, so the tournament director came up to me and said, Mike, is there any way that you would possibly stay and take this girl fishing tomorrow and I'm like well first of all I didn't really know what was going on then I said what's this all about and then when he told me the story I said well hell yeah I'll stay I said Michael and I'll stay and we'll take her out and of course it was camera crew on one boat camera crew on my boat it was for her it was her you know mm -hmm. to go catch a fish it didn't matter what it was and I told my wife I said look I'm we're gonna stay an extra day she happened to be with me and uh, I said we're gonna stay an extra day and we'll go home tomorrow well about 10 o'clock that Saturday morning, she called me on the phone. We had elevated to the point we had cell phones. Mm -hmm. And she said, Mike, she said, this, the Hurricane Katrina's not turning. It's coming straight for the mouth of the river. And I'm like, 
What do you mean? And she says, it's coming. I said, well, well like nothing I can do now. I mean, right. I'm in Lake Charles. I'm out fishing. They're going to they're gonna start, you know, changing the lanes where you can't even come into Louisiana. Right. Everything's outflow, contraflow. So I said, you get in the car immediately because my youngest son, Stephen, was in a baseball tournament in New Orleans. And I said, you go get Stephen, you go get the dogs, and you turn around and get back. She goes, what about Venice? I said, leave it alone. There's not, you cannot make it to Venice and get out of there. I said, what it is is what it is. Right. I said, do I like it? No. I said, this is, this is, if, it's gonna, if this is really doing what they're saying it's going to do now, we're, we're in trouble. So <clears throat> I still get choked up over it. <laughs> but yeah, it, it took her, she was the second to last car from coming in from Lake Charles to be allowed from Baton Rouge in between Baton Rouge and New Orleans to come into New Orleans to get my to get my son. Oh, uh, he'd have been all right. He because he went with families that were right. with the baseball tournament, but he wouldn't have been with us. Right. Which my wife That ain't gonna happen. <laughs> ain't gonna happen. <laughs> no. Neither are the dogs. Right. <clears throat> so anyway, she was the third car, third to last car, second to last car to get in. She got everything. It took her three and a half or four hours to get home. Mm-hmm. It took her 16 hours to get back to Lake Charles. Right. You know, and we, like everybody else, we watched it on the computer and on the TV, and we saw that Venice was going to get slammed. Damn. And it got slammed. Oh, and did it get slammed? <laughs> and we were able to look at aerial views. <clears throat> excuse me. We were able to look at aerial views the next morning. And it looked like a nuclear bomb had went off here in Venice Marina. Like, there was nothing. I never saw it pre-Katrina, so I have no idea. What you see, what you see, there was probably 50%. Really? For the listeners, we're actually sitting on, we're at the Redfish Lodge looking out over uh, over his porch, and you can see Venice Marina, so... About half of what's here <laughs> was here then. You know, and it's, you know, there's some beautiful camps here and, 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 you know, lodging and things like that. And none of this existed prior to Katrina. But what it did was completely torn off. It was gone. Right. In fact, this whole marina just had nothing but sunken boats in it. We had boats, and this is the honest to God's truth. We had a 90-foot I would call it a motor yacht mm-hmm. that was right here, perpendicular, sunk to the bottom with its bow sticking up. Nobody knew where it came from. Never seen this boat in our lives here in Venice. Nobody. It was a giant boat. Bottom line, when they once they figured out, it had come from Biloxi to here. Wow. When the wind switched around in a hurricane, it came across the Gulf free-floating, it made it all the way into the Venice Marina on its own. No way. Absolutely. That is crazy. That's, I never heard that story. Oh, so there was, was a 90-foot right yacht right, right here. Right here. It came t- all the way from Velux. 15 feet from where we're sitting right now. That's crazy. And it was absolutely You'd crazy. think it would have went anywhere else, right? Way out in the ocean well, somewhere. <laughs> it's like, first of all, we knew it wasn't from Venice because we had nobody had ever seen a boat before. So we weren't sure whether somebody tried to get in at the last minute from out in the Gulf and Right. You know, did they die here? You know, what, what was going on? You know, we just, right, you know, right. you didn't know. But what, back to it, this whole marina now, the basin, was mm-hmm. nothing but sunken boats. And it took months before the Coast Guard subcontracted different companies to come in with barges and, uh, you know, big uh, 
excavators and stuff like that. In, in, and I'm sure Venice was probably like what last priority. <laughs> oh, by far. Yeah, you exactly. know, to cut to the you chip. got New Orleans that's completely destroyed. I well, mean, it, it was completely be, destroyed. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for the most part, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so or certain areas were obviously very devastating to see, and you couldn't get anybody to come down here and do work because there was so much work back in New Orleans to right. get a construction crew to come down. Yeah, to who the hell wants to come down here when they can work right there? Yeah, <laughs> and you had nothing, to pro- no provisions down here. Right. You know, and we did not get electricity down here until a year and a half after Katrina. Yeah, I heard that. That's crazy. It was, it was, and it was was a surreal type of deal. It was like what ten years later before Port Eads got power, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. Port. I mean, Port. You know, unfortunately. I always talk, you know. I wish I could have seen Port Eads in its heyday because I hear all all of you older captains talk about how awesome it was, and now. I don't know. I guess they just tried to charge too much. I think I think that's what happened. Whenever they rebuilt it all, they put ten million dollars into Port Eads. Fifteen Eads's. million. Fifteen million into Port Eads, which is unbelievable. But you gotta. I mean, you kind of gotta go into that thinking, like you know, if you're gonna get people to use this place, you gotta make it affordable, and then try to go up from there or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah, no, know. I agree with you hundred percent. I could, I saw the handwriting on the wall the very first time I saw. What they were, or it's all the writing on what they were going to do. I was like, that ain't going to work. Right. This ain't going to work. You can't put that kind of money into there and then charge like what you're saying. And it's, even with charging what they're charging, what you got to do is get people, what you got to do is keep people, get people to start using it and then up your prices, right? Like every other business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, you got to get people used to using it first. And like, yeah. you know, and, and a lot of and a lot of the reason I think it didn't really work out is because we do so much live bait fishing now. And if you're all the way down at Port Eads, you're kind of limited on your bait because if you run from Venice, you know you got the Delta or wherever well, you, you go and, look for and, bait. And, and well, and also, you really don't know which direction you're going to go to. Right. No. So you're at Port Eads. Port Eads. Port Eads was here's the deal with Port Eads. Port Eads was a great place and still is a great place to host marlin tournaments. Yeah. Okay. That's what it's. That's what it was for. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It's not for a guy to bring down, let's say, his boat, yeah, and go stay down there for three days because you know what, the fish might be sixty miles to the west. They might not be out of South Pass. Right. Exactly. It, the, the rip might be not even practical for somebody to be at South Pass. So right. Exactly. It's I not. I think that's. It's one a of the cool reasons. location, oh, but it's, it's absolutely cool. It's a great location. It's, it's absolutely just, cool. And Venice, it just seems like you got more options. I think. Well, now you do. Yeah. I mean, you, you have more options. You have obviously more options where to go and what to do and all that kind I of. I guess stuff, it's different too because our boats are so fast. Well, you know what I mean? Like, like well, that's a different. That's go, a different ball game go now. Back to you know? the teaser. The teaser was the Cadillac of the Northeastern Gulf back then, and top end speed. 25 knots and that was with the current with the wind that was everything 25 knots now you guys could do donuts around oh man we're cruising around at 50 miles 55 miles an hour that's crazy and one of the reasons is because you almost have to be yeah no you do you got to beat the boat there if you're on a slow boat and you're going tuna fishing down here in venice i mean good luck to you don't go where all the other boats are (laughs) unless it's you know, let's. I'm just gonna call it chumming time. Yeah, yeah. Forget it. Right. If you're right. in a slow boat. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It's amazing to me. It don't matter how early you leave either. <laughs> I mean, you know, I remember I had, I had the very first contender that had triple engines. Really? And I'm like, oh my god, nobody. 
<laughs> going to buy boats like this. And nobody, I, when I had twin engines and then I moved, I, they, I got one of the first triple engine. I have had by When far, was that? What, what year was that? I remember? Even, I would say 90, let's say 90, I'm guessing, okay? Because I used to fish the pro SKA circuit back then as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say around 96, 97, something like that. Really? And I had a twin engine contender, a, a, a 31, mm-hmm. and they were coming out with a 36, and I was blessed, and I was for sure the first one in Louisiana to have one. And I'm like, nobody's going to buy these boats. <laughs> Three engines on these boats? Nobody. But, yeah, I'm happy to have it. I'm a big dog now. Yeah. And, shoot, triple engines now? You're in a P-Rogue. Yeah. <laughs> you better have four. They're about to start putting six. five on them. Yeah. I mean, it's like... Where does this end? I mean, yeah, I know. I always say that too. Like, when's it gonna stop, man? Like, this is you know, Freeman just came out with a forty-seven foot boat. You know, that's it's almost almost. You know, don't get a trailer and put some diesel engines that, in that, that thing. Cause well, <laughs> that boat, a forty-seven Freeman, is bigger than the teaser was back then, and I had twin thirty-two oh eight Caterpillars wow. diesel engines. So it was a big transition from then to now. Oh my! Very God. big transition. It's crazy. It is insane. I've I've even seen that. You know, like I remember when you know there wasn't even any braided line. You know, oh, when I was I, young. that was a big innovation in fishing, wouldn't you say? That's oh, like light years, oh, well, probably one talked, of the biggest we, innovations. Well, we talked about the te- you know, electronics a little while ago, but some of the biggest innovations or technology that's changed the world is not only the the, the braided line, but the rods and reels that we can, oh my god, it's the crazy. lighter rods and the more line that we could. I mean, back in the day, we used to, if we were going on a Marlin tournament, you didn't have anything less than an 80 wide on your boat. And most yeah. guys who had the bucks had 120s. Yeah, because you had mono, thick mono. You yeah, got to have to put a braid line. I remember, and I still have an original still in the shrink pack. Fenwick was the first company to come out with what was called Iron Thread. And it was the closest thing to braid. Braid has transitioned quite a bit since then, but it was the braid of the time. And it was like, you know, it was, well, let's just take, for example, 80-pound test with, with the diameter of 20-pound mono. Right. So, yeah. Man, all of a sudden, I could go from putting, you know, 600 yards on an 80 wide of mono to having 3,000 yards right. of, of, of <laughs> braided, braided line. Yeah. And I still have one of the very first original packages at my home in my office that I'll never open. Right. Because that's it'll awesome. It'll never be worth no, anything. Cool. It'll never be worth no, anything, I, but it is to me. I say it all the time to people. I'm like, man, like, if people didn't have, you know, like, I guess a lot, of, you know, especially with, like, daytime sword fishing, you could have never done that no. with monofilament. And that's why and we like, didn't. Yeah, that's why you didn't. Yeah, we you never did, did like that. Well, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it wasn't practical. Right. And, and what do you mean? You're going to drop 1500 feet down (laughs) move on yeah (laughs) you know and and really what to me and and really for the offshore fishermen as well i mean you you, the 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 rods have got lighter the reels have become smaller and you can carry so much more but where to me as a fisherman i'm talking about something myself personally braided line for inshore fishing has made me a better fisherman no, 100%. especially when it comes to big speckled trout and things like that. The softest bite feels like the biggest thud, mm-hmm. which yeah. I would have never even known I had about a bite with monofilament back in the day. Right, right. Just what, when the big the big speckled trout are spawning and it's a, such a everybody thinks it's an explosive bite. Sometimes it can be so subtle. Yeah, and yeah. that 
braided line. I mean, you you feel that. Yeah, bite. I, I still have people that fish. They fish uh, monofilament trout fishing. I don't fishing. know, I don't know why. Fisherman. Yeah, I know. I don't. I don't get it because I I'm I'm a stickler with the braid. If as somebody well, told to me tomorrow braid. I had to go out and fish braided line, I'll, say, I'll sit at the dock. I mean, uh, mono, mono, yeah, yeah. I, I'll sit at the dock. See when you get back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can almost agree, man. That's a it's a different thing for sure. Yeah, I, every one of my personal, and I, I mean, I get it. There's might be some condition, especially when it comes to freshwater. Yeah, you know, the, the, the bass tournaments and the guys they got to go down to, you know, super super thin, uh, fluorocarbon type of line, uh, ultra light line in certain situations. I get that, but that's not the saltwater guys' deal. Right. And yeah. and and. Yeah. No, I can't. I can't do mono. It's like <laughs> you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fluorocarbon leader, absolutely. Yeah. Monofilament on my reel ain't gonna happen. Right. 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 Gonna, I don't. You can't talk. You can't talk me into it. Yeah. So after Katrina, um, about how long after Katrina did you guys start um, back fishing? Or oh, I'm sure, it was a gradual over thing. a year and a half because one, we didn't have electricity. Yeah. And two, what we built up here, we built on our own. Uh, my wife, a friend of mine, my two sons would come down on weekends after you know high school if they weren't, well, they were always playing ball, so they, they didn't get to do a whole bunch. They, they, they'll say they did, but they really didn't. Yeah. But they gave us moral support when they came down, and they were very helpful. But uh, the, they were in school and played ball, and I, you know I wanted them to be kids, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That this wasn't their worry at that at that at their t- yeah, that time of their time, life. Yeah. It wasn't their problem. Yeah. And, but anyways, you know, it took us, probably took us a good two years to get back open for business. And the crazy thing about it is we had, there was no infrastructure. Mm-hmm. The fish was crazy. There was fishing galore. I mean, the fish. Yeah. Was I, fished, I remember fishing after Katrina. It was but you had, no, you had no fuel. Yeah. You had no electricity. You had no ice. You had no bait. You yeah. had nothing. If you were able to get down here, you transitioned yourself from New Orleans or wherever, and you went back. I mean, there wasn't a light on the highway going back. It was, it was dark as could be. But wow. the fishing was phenomenal, phenomenal for a year. But we just didn't have the facilities or the infrastructure yeah. to facilitate right, the people right. then. Yeah. So it was, it was a crushing experience. It really was because yeah. you had everything to give people, but you couldn't do it. Right. Couldn't do it. Man. That's crazy. So two years, did it bounce back pretty good? You know, like two thousand seven. Oh, it bounced once we once the marina had fuel and was able to have ice and was able to facilitate. Those were two big things. Right. It was able to facilitate those needs. It came back strong very fast. And would you say it's been on the incline since? Yes. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean that it was actually a catalyst, I think, because the fishing was so good. I mean. I don't care what what part of the world you live in. You leave the fish unmolested for a year, year and a half, for the most part. Yeah. You're gonna have some superb fishing. Yeah, it's gonna be on fire. It's gonna be on fire. It's yeah. gonna be the real deal. Yeah. yeah. And, and that really brought so many people back, and that's what made people invest into building their camps down here and things like that because the fishing was so good. Not because we got golf courses or beaches. We ain't got none of that. Right, right, but right. But we got the best fishing in the best United States. Best fishing in the world, right. Yeah, <laughs> by far. So, um, then BP oil spill happened. And that was 2009, right? Or 2008? That was, no, that was 2009, right? 2000. 
It's 2009. I mean, I don't, but it, it was around that time. It was so around that somebody, time. Somebody can <laughs> check us on that. Yeah, I almost think it's 2010, but I, I, I. Maybe it was. But I. But regardless. Right. Here we go. We got, we had Katrina completely wiped me out financially, uh, physical structure, everything. I mean, it was brutal. But here we here comes BP. It's not a natural disaster. It's a man-made disaster. And obviously we've learned since then that it was one that could have been prevented. Right. But they shut our fishing down completely for a year. Yeah. We had the infrastructure. We had ice. We had fuel. We had bait. We had, we had uh, housing. We had camps. We had, everything was here for people to fish, but they shut the waters down for a year. So that was completely different than Katrina. Katrina... We didn't have the infrastructure. You know, it was understandable why you couldn't do business. Right. But BP was a complete different, devastating experience because we had everything that was still there, but couldn't could not work. Fish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I again, I took a big, a big bath in in BP, and and this is I'll say this publicly. Did you work? Did you work for? I worked a little bit with that, but this I'll say this public publicly. That's one of the biggest. I mean, I, I got subpoenaed to go to testify uh, in front of the U.S. Congress and U.S. Senate. Really? Yes, wow. about the ramifications or potential ramifications on uh, the potential for whatever with fisheries. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I went to Washington twice. I spoke in front of a committee with uh, with, with Congress and Senate. Like I'm a, I'm a little fish in a big sea here. Right. I mean, a room full of no more people cameras, you'll never see again. More, yes. <laughs> more cameras and press, and every television station in the world was there. Really? And oh yeah, it was huge. That's pretty interesting. And uh, so, anyways, to make a long story short, you know, BP led the nation to believe that they made everybody whole. I never got a penny from BP. No way. I never got a penny. I thought you said you worked for them. I worked, but. I, you I, didn't get settlement like other. I didn't get my settlement for what I lost my financially because my my opinion was this, <clears throat> and I didn't get to work like I normally get to work. Right. But whatever I did working for BP on the cleanup, that wasn't my job. That wasn't my livelihood. That's awesome. My, that my, is so cool that you just said that. That, that, that awesome. wasn't my livelihood. No, that's cool. You don't give me a bone. Because let me, let me, I always say, I've, I've always put this in perspective. If I own a chain of McDonald's and I own a chain of Burger Kings, I own a chain of Ruby Reds, mm-hmm. and my, my McDonald's business, for whatever reason, whatever happened, whatever disaster happens, it goes out completely, is... Am I supposed to go do whatever? Yeah, you are supposed to go do whatever. But that was BP's fault. Whatever I earned in the recovery part to clean up their mess, what they did, that shouldn't be counted against my business, the Redfish Lodge of Louisiana, their charter business, because I lost clients. They went elsewhere. They went to different parts of the world. Nobody can tell me that I never lost clients permanently. Oh, I'm sure you did. Everybody did. Everybody did. So for them not to compensate on that end of the business to tell me that because I'm picking up their mess that 
that's oh, they're going to pay me. Yeah, that's, that's all they owe me. That's when not you put right. it like that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah it, it totally is. Because so this isn't this isn't business. This isn't you losing business just for this month or this time frame, this year, whatever they did, close it down. This is repeat business that you will never see again. This is this is you're different. Not, you'll never get it. You'll yeah. never get it back. Never get it back. It's not going to happen. And for them to and here's the you know here's what happened during that point. You know we got to a point where they offered a certain settlement, a payout uh, for different entities, whether it was oyster fishermen, crabbers, charter fishermen, whatever. If we agreed as individuals or as groups or whatever to settle out of court. And I talked to my attorney and said, man, if they're gonna, if they're gonna do that, and you're legit, Mike, you got all your paperwork, you got all your bank statements, you've got all your profit and loss statements, you got all your, your, your tax forms, you've got everything in line, and you're gonna be good as gold. Right. And I was hoping I was gonna be good as gold. I submitted what they, what they asked for, I can't tell you, at least five or six different times, get to the point where it was, Okay, we'll cut a check. Oh, we lost this. We lost that. You got to resubmit. And that went on for over a year. And that was what happened was prescription ran out to file a lawsuit. Because if, if I could turn back the hands of clock, the, the clock, I'd have filed suit. And there is no judge, no jury, no courtroom that would not have afforded me what was owed to me. And BP never paid. Damn. Never paid. That's crazy. And I'll never buy an ounce of gas from BP again. And, but yet, but yet, the rest of the country thinks that everybody was made whole. Yeah, and a lot of people were. And see, yeah, and a lot of people were. And see, that's what I see right now with this coronavirus, and they're giving out all this money. The problem is what whenever money? you have, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> whenever you have this many, whenever you're trying to give out lots of money. There's that's not a job that people normally have to give out money to the right people. That's that's just you know that's something new that somebody has to deal with. So it's exactly what you just said. Some people will end up with it, and then the other people. It's not going to be distributed correctly, is what I'm saying. Like, cause I know I know. I've seen. I've, I've seen listen, Mike. I've I know people. I, I know people personally that just a few years ago got thirty five thousand dollars for loss of groceries during BP oil spill. So. If anybody should be compensated, it should be you. <laughs> didn't get a penny. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is that that's that's wild that you didn't, didn't, didn't get, get a penny. penny, and I lost a lot of money. Yeah, I wish I wish I always said I wish I was old enough to work the BP oil spill because I mean I've I've even heard of you know I, I'm just talking down here. That I'm got, just talking into the business because of money they made. Right, doing right. Recovery. I mean I know yeah and exactly and you didn't want to work and I agree completely with what you're saying because. If you go and work, like you're cleaning up their mess and you're compensating you for that, that's, that's a different, a different thing. That's a different that's job a different, than compensating you for your loss of business. You're hiring me to clean up your mess. You're not compensating for my loss. You're right. Yeah, I mean, that's a different deal. And, and, <laughs> and, and for them to take that stance, because really, I mean, I sat in some meetings with Mary Landrew and some other politicians, and I was even in... Washington, when word came out that they were going to compensate us, that the, I forget what it was called back then as far as what the, the, the charter boats that worked in the, uh, the recovery of the, of the oil spill. Um, mm-hmm. But you, I mean, you worked. Right. You, you were at, you were at the, 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 the uh, safety meetings at 530 in the morning and you worked all day. Right. right. You worked on, you got, you worked, you worked for your money. Doesn't matter what you made. That, right. That's irrelevant because it's like you said, it's a separate business. That's a but separate I, thing. I, I was in Washington when 
they came out and told me in a meeting, said, it's done. You guys are going to get, get what you deserve. I'm sorry. It never just never lie. happened. It just lied. It just never happened. How do they? How do they lie to your face? And wow, that's why some of them aren't in office now. Yeah, that's sorry. crazy. <laughs> sorry. Well, I guess we'll move on from the BP oil spill. Yeah. So moving forward, from that was that, a bad deal. Yeah, it was a bad deal. <laughs> a Sounds bad deal. like a sore topic. But uh, <laughs> but uh, so moving forward from there, did you continue charter fishing, or how did you? Did you always well, do both tournaments and then inshore? Well, yeah. I mean, I. I, I at th- at that point, I decided that. Well, after, yeah, I, I think it was the the BP oil spot. At that point, I said, "That's it with the offshore." As far as the business end, I'm mm-hmm. I still fish offshore. Right, right. But the business it was, one, it was just too many boats. Yeah, and it was getting too. I don't want to use the word competitive because I like the I like to be competitive, but in the business sense. It just wasn't adding up, and, and right, right. You know, the one thing about Venice is you're only limited to X amount of days that you can really go fish offshore. Yeah, and it's like you got to book 400 charters to fish 200. To make it, <laughs> and if you're lucky to get to, yeah, it. you know, that, that that magic number to me was always 125 to 130. Yeah, that's what even. that's what most of the guys. Yeah, yeah, to break even. Yeah, anything past that, you start making some money. You know what? In some years, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So I just said, you know, at that point, I'm going to gear everything into the inshore part and you know really promote the 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 the, the bull red fishing because nobody was doing it another like the first time tuna stuff i said i'll start doing it but because i think people from around the world would love this i mean I, that's so the local crazy pe- the people the local people hate them so like the yeah no that's what's so crazy to me that's honestly my favorite fish to catch Ow. as a captain dude i fuck i love it they're such a bad <laughs> they're such a badass little critter and I mean, they they love top water. They like crankbaits. They yeah. like spinnerbaits. They like anything. Not not every day, right? But, but I mean, there's no better fish in my life that I'd rather catch. Now, my favorite thing to do is sight cast for redfish, especially when I'm fishing my tournaments. Right. But my clients to come want the big daddy. Right. And I right. get it. Yeah, that's what they. I, I get it. There's a, it the makes local, a lot of. People. You know, it didn't make sense to me why. Like, I, I grew up in Mississippi on the coast there. Trout's the thing. Everybody around here knows. Trout was the thing here. Everybody's gay is. for trout. Yeah. <laughs> Everything because you got a 25 fish limit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and and we're about we to. We're about to get fish. in. We're about to get into that. I'm going to get into that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, I, I whenever I started putting myself because I traveled a lot. I you know every off season as a deckhand I would go travel. All over the world. I've been to Australia, Fiji, Southeast Asia. Oh, cool. And so through those experiences, <laughs> but no, through those experiences, I would, I would literally save my money and travel for a month by myself at the end of the season. But through those experiences, I started to put myself in the customer's shoes because they're coming with me. They're, they haven't seen any of this before. Why would they rather go catch a 15 inch speckled trout than the easy to catch? 40 inch bull rig. Well, sometimes it's not that easy. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. I mean, especially really, the nowadays. Tw- the 12 inch trout with live shrimp at days sometimes can be easier than. Yeah, some days. Yeah, yeah. Some days it can be. But right. they're not going to get the fight. Right, exactly. And they're not going to get the but experience. But it made, what, I, what I mean is it made sense to me because it's it's a bigger fish and they've never seen it before. So that's cool to them. Well, you know y- what I mean? And it's, you know, here, here look, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I mean, Kevin Beach, one of your, one, I don't want to call him your boss, but one of the, yeah, the primary Mexican owners Wolf, yeah. of Mexican Gulf. Great guy. And I, yeah, he's great. Great guy, great fisherman, smart guy, talented as can be. 
in, in more ways than one, not even just fishing. But, um, you know, I remember talking to him when I told him I was going to change over, and I'm sure he was like, yeah, he's out the offshore business. And he said, you're going to do what? You're going to focus on bull reds? And I'm like, yep. And I remember talking to a few of the guys. He said, you're nuts. You're crazy. You, you, you've lost it for now. Get out the business. You're done. Go home. Are you doing drugs? No, I'm not doing drugs. And it's like, uh, and I just had that feeling that it would be the thing. And That's so cool. And, I, and, and again. It was after BP that you started to focus to really. Focus 100% on that. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was doing it before that, way before that. I Really, after Katrina, I started focusing on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... But I was doing both still. Mm-hmm. But for years I was doing it, and people, the guides down here, to be honest with you, they had no clue how I was doing it, why I was doing it, or how, they couldn't figure it out. And they, one, they they couldn't figure it out, and they didn't want to figure it out, and they didn't they want to. Now it's kind of like what tuna was back in the '90s. Everybody's doing it now, you know. Yeah, I mean, every yeah. inshore guy, yeah. all of a sudden they're chasing the big. You, all you got to do, but is you go know back. why that is, is because people came. You know, with you guys first, you guys come first. They tell people to come to Venice. You're not open, whatever. You're still getting people back here. If you're a good guy, you're still getting people back. You but, know what I mean? And don't think that. And I don't. I think this is a good thing, not a bad thing. And don't think that there's not a lot of runoff business that guides are getting from the big reds because of what I started. Oh, 100%. and I don't say that in a, in a, in a egotistical sense at all. But that's no, true. I, I don't want. I don't want to have those 20 guys working under me. Right. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I think it's great. And that's... and that's and that, But they wouldn't have done it 15 years ago. Right. Trout slowed up. And, and that's one thing I always tell people, you know, if they if they come... Like, if I meet if I meet a customer in the bar or something, God forbid, I hope nobody ever complains about me. But <laughs> if, you know, I meet somebody in the bar can, and they, they got with the guy... please everybody all the time. Right, exactly. Yeah, and you're, you have your own personality, and the person that's on the boat with you has their own personality, and sometimes, you know, it, it just it, don't work yeah. out. And Very, that's what I tell people whenever I meet somebody, a, a customer had a bad day with a you know, captain they didn't like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, look, this is Venice. There's a lot of guides down here. Go find somebody you like. You know what I mean? Come back. But that's what I hope whenever people come fishing with me. I hope, I, I hope they come fishing back with me. But hopefully I give them a good enough experience that they'll come back to Venice at least and give, you know, red fishing or whatever well, I did the first, with them. This is the know, first time I've thing. spent any time with you speaking. I, I would believe 100% that it. Your clients would not only enjoy fishing with you, but would definitely your your repeat business. And that's the only way that you're going to be successful in this business. Yeah, yeah. Well, I take that back. I know a couple of captains that work on real heavy social media and, and, and work on. Yeah, they do take that. Them but out. That's that's not the fun way. That's not. That that's not the not, fun not, way. Not, the fun way not. is to keep people coming back with you, and you build that relationship with you, and then eventually you're friends with them. You call them up and talk bullshit all the time. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to have that business that. Yeah. You're, you're coming on your boat, and at two o'clock I'm taking you in, and you're done. Go home. See you later. Well, we do this because we, Mike, we do this because we like it and we have fun, and that's why you didn't go and work for BP. And you know, this is this is. Oh, what but we... I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did. You did. Yeah. I'm going to work for him. Yeah. Okay. But didn't no. have any insurance when I worked for him. I didn't have anything going on. I still had to pay my own insurance. Not didn't make any money from there. Oh man. Look, look, move on. Move <laughs> yeah, on. Bad topic. Back at the bad topic. But yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. So um, where were we at? We were talking about um, after the oil Redfish. spill. Yeah, but then you you started focusing on on the bull reds, and, and like I said, that's my favorite thing to target as well, just because it's it's a lot of fun. I started after Katrina. 
And like again, had both still offshore and inshore because I still I had a thirty six contender and mm-hmm. all that kind of good stuff. Um, had a couple other captains working underneath me, but then again, it, to me, the the weather just became so unpredictable, and you know, you'd have people come down and you you have the lodging for them, and you couldn't take them offshore fishing, and the inshore fishing was booked already, right. and it was like you weren't making people happy all the time. I was like, I, I just decided to go for the bull reds and and, yeah. and, and red or redfish in general. You right. know, there's people that still. Want to do the slots? And Absolutely. Yeah. Want to do the slots? Want to go slight, sight casting? Want to take some fish home? Want to do the? There's so many different ways to redfish. So that's you know yeah, that's what we, we, we and that's pretty much what you've been focusing on until oh, current. For, yeah, yeah, for the last several years. I mean, and, and I still. Uh, I kind how, of how often? Early. How often do you guide now? Like last year? I mean, you know, like I fish every day. You fish every day. If, if my boys fish, if, 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 if I. St- I'm still involved 100%. My boys think I'm nuts, but whatever. <laughs> uh, they can't wait to see me walk out the door. But, what you know, I, I, if I'm not shooting a show with somebody, if I'm not doing a television show, if I'm not fishing a tournament somewhere, then I'm guiding. Right. No. Because I still I still. That's got to get kind of hectic with scheduling and everything. It does. Right? Yeah. And, and, and my wife handles all that for me, thank God, because yeah. I, it, I got I got to move in that step. I'm I'm engaged right now, so hey, congratulations! <laughs> yeah, thank you. You thank know, you. And, and and believe me, I mean, and, and here, my wife, when when we first got married, mm-hmm. she wouldn't talk to a customer on the phone. Really? <laughs> she 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 had no. I like talking to the customers but you, but and all but that, yeah, but, but it's, it's not I that. needed more help keeping up with the books. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. She she didn't have the self-confidence or one she didn't know a lot about the business man i bet that was cool to see her grow from that though because oh, i'm sure i'm sure the more she did it the better she got at it <laughs> she's, she's ho- i work for her i mean she's like you know yeah yeah she, <laughs> she runs it right uh, it's like uh, well, I, I created this animal I mean, <laughs> this monster i mean what i mean when i'm telling you she was so timid back in the day not an introvert but she was just timid right right that's that's one that's one thing that i've learned that i've gotten a lot a lot better at through guiding is my social skills and this just like i I just noticed it from month to month it seemed like you know being a deckhand you you just you're forced to talk to people you know that's your job you're forced to give them not forced that's a bad word it's a bad word but i get it yeah but you're there to entertain them right exactly And, and and to feel them out they got a way out. They got to like you. You know what? What they? You know, this might be their first fishing trip. This might be the first red fishing trip, first tuna trip, whatever. You know what? At home, they might like to work in their flower bed. You know, who knows? Right. So you got to find that common ground that makes them happy, especially when the fishing is slow, to talk about and joke about and have fun. Yeah, exactly. You know, the yeah. two things I really don't like talking about on the boat is religion and politics. Yeah. If I have to, we'll do it. But the only problem with it is you're going to get my opinion, too. Yeah, exactly. And that, and I always tell people, don't talk about when things go wrong. Like, oh, Cap, when, when's the last time you saw a boat sink? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> don't talk about that kind of stuff. Nah, don't talk nah, about it. Keep it positive. <laughs> yeah, keep it positive all day long. Yeah. And have a good time. And, right. And it will, it will, as a young man, improve your social skills. Absolutely. 100%. And that, and that's, that's so good for anything you do. But um, just to move on, and this will be the last topic, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up. But uh, 
Why? <laughs> Can't we do this like all night? <laughs> it's fun, isn't it? It is. It's yeah, a lot you're of fun. You're doing a great job with it. It really is. Um, we can do this again too. This isn't <laughs> doesn't have to be a one-time thing. But um, in terms of conservation, um, that's one thing that I find that so many people, like fishermen, whether you're God or whatever, are so far apart on. Oh, they're so far apart because I feel like uh, our limits don't make any sense. And they I've make zero that. sense. They don't make any sense, and they they've got to figure it out. But I wanted and to, to ask your quick. your two cents on what what. What direction do we need to move in in terms of conservation to keep what we have and hopefully my grandchildren can can enjoy it the same way okay. that we have? And I get that. I get asked that question probably every day. Yeah. And here's how I'm going to put it. I figured you had, and I'm sure you and, thought a lot about it. And, 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 and yes, and, and, you know, maybe my opinion is right and maybe it's not, but it's... It's your opinion it's and it's opinion. worth something. But here's the deal. Back in the day... Mm-hmm. One, here's the, here is the biggest thing that we're up against. We have lost so much land. We have lost so much marsh. We have lost the incubator that creates the great fishing that we have. And we've done that, right? Through the manipulation of the river? In through a lot the manipulation of, ways. of the river, through cutting canals. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to blame. Through hurricanes. Through, there's a lot of reasons for that. But, but they can't get it back. It doesn't really... I disagree with that. And I'll, get, okay. and, I'll, and I'll get into that. That's that's interesting. I mean, I'll get into that. Right. But but again, it's an opinion, not not a not a fact, sort of say. But we've lost, and but we still have the best fishing in the United States. So what happens is when people come down here, and they catch a bunch of trout, they catch a bunch of redfish, they catch a bunch of tuna, they catch wahoo, they catch this like, they don't see the problem, and the problem itself is growing. It's it it started off as a pea snowball. It's now a mountain. It's a serious, serious problem. It is. It's a serious problem. And we have limits that were based, I don't know how many years ago. I was ago. trying to look that up last night. When was the three fish per person tuna fish limit, the elephant tuna limit, when was that put uh, in place? That was, it was, I couldn't find that it. That wasn't that long. I mean, it was a few years ago. But that, that being said, I remember the day when there was no limit on redfish. Right. When it went to 50 fish per day, when it went to 25 fish. That 50 it, trout per day? Oh, redfish. Oh, re 50 redfish yes. per day? Yeah. Well, yeah. Because there was, you know, people, no slot either. Keep people, them whatever. No, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't remember if, if the bull red. Because the, first of all, nobody kept bull reds, and we still don't. That's one thing in my business. We don't keep the bull reds. And see, that's and what that's I'll say about the redfish fishery is that is why I wanted to be get, get involved with redfish because I feel like it was the only properly managed fish. But it's not. It, it Better than most. The, the fact I, that they have the slot, and, and that's I'm gonna why. And I'm going to say this, and, and 100%, it's a guide problem here. Yeah. Because trout fishing went down so bad, now they go after the redfish. Yeah. And yeah. I watch it. I, was, I, I watch it. They'll bring in 40-inch redfish and hang them up and take pictures with them. There is no reason in the world to kill a redfish that big. They're not good eating. That's your reproductive stock. They're, and, and you need to educate your clients as a guide. I don't yeah, have, I do that. I do I'm that every day. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have a problem with my clients with that at all. Never have. And we don't keep anything for the most part if it's a if it's a 28 29 inches and it's it's a male and you want a fish to take home to eat i'll let you anything past that you, no. it's getting turned loose right right yeah if it's, anything anything over 29 like all right 
I've cupped a couple over 27 inches. What I do, yeah. I, but I, what, I get that. Yeah. It, 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 but, but I'm not going to keep a 35 inch redfish. No, no, no. And you can look gonna, at that redfish and tell that shit. And, and I'll tell and you what I do. You're not going to talk me into it. Right. Yeah. Oh, no. That's a captain's call. You're anyways. done. Yeah. You're done. And <laughs> but, for them to call, and listen, I can, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be. No, somebody needs to it. say it. Somebody you, needs to say you it. You go to that fish cleaning dock every single day, and you will see guides bringing in big redfish and hanging them up for pictures. Oh. Why? Right. What's the purpose? Right. Is this an ego trip at this point? Yeah, take it right there on the boat and put them back in the water. I mean, because that fish <laughs> is not going to provide a good meal for that person. Right. And you need to tell them that. And you also need to tell them. And here's the thing about a bull red, especially a female. During her spawning season, her spawning time, and I didn't learn, I didn't really learn this until relatively recently, that a female redfish will spawn three or four times during the spawning season. She will create three or four times eggs and produce that. Wow, that's crazy. So if so, here's the deal: if you're a male redfish, you're in the right species. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the, the the back to the the. What's what I call a problem is our limits are way too liberal. Yeah. Don't need to be. We don't need to be keeping 25 trout yeah. per person. Yeah. Because what happens is they go in a freezer, they get freezer burned, and at the end of the year, you throw them out before you go make your next trip. Exactly. You know, right. I mean, it's not, it's, I am, a, I am 100%, in my opinion, I think that it should be 15 trout. Mm-hmm. We should up it to probably 15 inches. Yep. Maybe. I've heard so many guys say and the I same thing. And I think that a trout that's over 26 inches or 27 inches should be tossed back. Yeah. And how many of those do you see anymore? And I, and I used to. I, used I caught to be able one to, last year. I was excited I to, as hell. <laughs> listen, back in the day, and I'm not, and I'm ashamed at some of the things I used to do. I used to be able to go out and catch a limit of 26-inch trout. Yeah. And see, since you're saying that, the, the fact that you're saying that I, I've done this, but we can't continue to do this, is something that people need to learn. It's because it's, 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 the, it's the thing Or that, it's not going to be here. Right, and it's the thing that people need to learn what we're doing. And, you know, I, I've, seen, I've seen it happen so many times. The reason why our limits suck so bad, in my opinion, is because they don't make sense. They make no sense, and, and they're, based they're, on, they're based on data it's over 20 years old yeah it's, we don't have that landmass we don't have the marsh and they're not have, and they're not taking to an account the I, mean, I don't think there's any way you can the amount of people that are actually going out there and doing it yeah way more than way more way more way way so you can't more. set a 25 per person speckled trout limit for but, the amount of people that were going then and then and then just keep it the same and, that's and, not and, and, and you get, you'll get people argue and i only get to go fishing once or twice a year so i need to get you know what i mean Here's my opinion. If you base your fishing trip on the fish that you have to go catch to bring it in, go buy your fish. It's a lot cheaper. Yeah. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's the experience that's out here. That's what and it's what about. And what I don't want to lose, and what I don't, you're, you're engaged, and you're going to have a wife. You're going to hopefully have kids soon. At no. some point, you're going to have grandkids. What you don't want to see, and it's headed that way, is for this fish, fishery to collapse and for them not to be able to experience what that's, we experience That's what I'm now. terrified of. And, and that's and one of the reasons I want It's a true reality. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to make this podcast because I want people to get on the same page. And, you know, if if we just do it with good intentions, that's that's the key because 
the reason that people get mad, like somebody the other day, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not even going to say that, but let's just say somebody brings in uh, 10 yellowfin that are over 100 pounds. You're going to piss somebody off, but it's not illegal. And it's that's, not illegal, that's, but it's not necessary. But it's not necessary. But, but we got to, but we got to. I was guilty. Right. But, but we, I wouldn't do it now. Right. Exactly. Because but, I know what's happened. Exactly. And so what we got to do is make limits. You got to make a limit to where it doesn't piss anybody off. Like, if you have a per person limit on speckled trout, 25 speckled trout a person, you can go put 10 people on one of those Freemans and go out to the islands and catch. How many trout is that? Trout. That is insane. So why don't we start putting boat limits? That's what I would think, because I would think, you know, 50 trout per boat, the way I see it, if you get 50 trout, you got them. You know what I mean? It doesn't. Well, th- that's the way I see it with anything. No, ten I, I ten mangroves per person. Ten mangroves per person. That's hey, crazy. Why I don't we put a twenty that, a twenty what, per boat or something like that? I can you know remember what I mean? it wasn't that long ago that there wasn't a guy in here that knew how to mangrove fish or was fishing mangroves. Wasn't that long ago? <laughs> really? Wow. Oh no, it wasn't that long ago. You know they all fish it now because everything else is in depletion. Not 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 only that, but like you know like that's that's the problem with red snapper. They they close the season. And they only give them a certain amount of time, but it's the most plentiful fish out there. So why don't we not put why don't we not put well, a season on it, and why don't we keep it open year round? You don't even want me to get me started on red snapper. But see, that's what but that's the problem right now because people get so outraged on the red snapper thing. Red snapper fishing right now is better, and I, I don't I don't care who I, well I mean it, who knows. I think that it's better than it's ever been, especially for big snapper. Right. I'm 30 and, years ago, I didn't catch the size snapper I catch now. And that's what puts people in such outrage because they know they can go out there and catch them, and, there's, and they're plentiful. I so why do we any. put? So why do we put a season on that? Why don't we keep well, it open year round and then just lower the boat limit? Because I know a lot of days that I've been offshore tuna fishing, and I would love to stop at Seven Mile Rig and catch one red snapper and have my customers eat that for dinner because that's what it's about. It's about going out there, having a great experience, and then enjoying a nice meal at the end of the night, not filling your freezer. You know, and I think so it, keeping one red snapper is not a bad idea. I, I think in, in good faith that the federal government – this is going to be a tough pill for everybody to swallow. I think there's always good intentions. I really do. Yeah, I do. I think but people I think try to do a good job. Everybody does. Intent. Everybody's trying to do better but for themselves. I really do. I yeah. really believe that. But I also feel that – and, and, and I'm not ever going to make my, or I try not to make my opinions on emotions. I try to make my opinions on data of what I see and what I've experienced, what I see back then, and what I see back now. Right. And if we don't make some changes soon, whether you like it or not, I'm sorry, then you're going to pay the price fairly quick, and then you're going to be sorry. Right. And then once you get to that point where you have a collapse, and unfortunately, the our governments in general, whether it's state, federal, whatever, and I'm not blaming them because it's a it's a tough position because they got to rely on their scientific data. But especially our state, we're not proactive on the best resource that's in the nation. We're not proactive at all. Yeah. Protect our resource. Don't protect Mike Frenette. Don't protect the guides. Don't protect the recreational fishermen. Don't protect the commercial fishermen. Protect, protect the what species. We have. Yeah. The species is the ones. They can't talk. Right. They can't protect themselves. They're the ones that need the protection. And if we don't move in that direction, 
I'm not de- I'm not a Debbie Downer. I'm I'm a, I'm a very yeah. positive guy. But we will see significant problems, especially inshore. Yeah, especially inshore. I agree. I mean, yellowfin tuna are found all over the world and stuff. We probably can never get them to extinction, but you know, why should we try? Um, I think that landmass has been our problem in yeah, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a big issue. And I think you know, here's my opinion on that. Everybody, you know, everybody, you got a, a, a divided line: diversions or pumping pumping sediment in from the river or diversions. There's like, nobody wants to meet in the middle, first of all. But I think that's what has to happen because unfortunately, politics is politics and there's a lot of money. Can you explain that a little bit? Because I don't know much about. Okay. So if they. You you, you have, what it is is that, let's say diversions. And diversions is where the Corps of Engineers will do some studies and decide that they will cut a swath, a patch out of the levee, sort of say, and let water flow into the Delta area, south of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that is, some believe, is kind of like what the river does naturally, and it will restore the marsh. Mm-hmm. My opinion is, it may or may not, and it's going to take years to do it. My opinion is, take a footprint of a mapping of and what's scary is look at the footprint you want to really see how devastating this is go to 19 let's let's not even go well it might be far back for you but let's go it's not for me go to 1980 go to 1970 take a look at the maps that are on the internet of what type of marsh existed along the whole coast of louisiana and then take a look at it today i'd love to do it's that. horrible it's, i'm gonna it's, do that tonight it's scary <laughs> Why not take a footprint of one of those maps at whatever year we decide to do it and then map out, map out, start off in certain areas, especially down here. Start, start off here and work your way up. Map it out. Pump the sand in from the river and you're basically developing land. Wait. wait what's, so you're basically what's, building land. What's, like what's that country they built? Is it, is it Dubai? Oh, wait a minute. They got skyscrapers and everything else on what used to be nothing but water really they pumped in the sand dubai was nothing it was water wow they built that they built that on sand so to me pump the sediment or we are taking sand that is dredged every day in the in the river and going out in the gulf of mexico and dumping that sand that's what they do with it most of it that's where it goes yes so, I've seen them pump it onto the land over there on well, Southwest Pass, right there. Yeah, well, you, you see, you, well, that's that's different. That's the pipelines that they're doing. And look what it's done. If you take a look at those areas, if you go down river, there's a couple of places called the Back Levy Canal. Mm-hmm. You go down by the Wildlife and Fishery Station yeah. off of Dennis Pass. Go back up north towards the Lafitte and see what they've done. They've built that land six, seven feet high. Yeah, I know what you're talking about down there at Dennis Pass because I was like, I was crazy. like, man, that's crazy. That's a lot of land right there. <laughs> there's there's land behind the, the the pilot station there that was two feet of water. They pumped in years so, ago. There's so thirty foot trees now. So you're saying that maybe they could they um, could they could 
have somebody environmentally say, let's do this the right way to keep well, the fish around or, or at least keep it in mind. Cause I, I'm sure they don't keep it in mind. I'm like the most affordable way or the, you know, the most, it, I'm sure it comes down to money whenever well, it, comes it comes down, down to, to money. To get, it really comes down to who gets to play with the money. Right. Exactly. But if you had the right person and doing it with environmentally savvy people in mind, maybe they would, you know what I you mean? You know, the, the funniest thing is I hear from people that say, well, you know, I, you're going to ruin my speckled trout in my redfish play spot. Or, and, and, and no offense to him, but it's going to kill my oysters there. Well, you know what? 30 years ago, there was no speckled trout and redfish there. And there was no oysters there because that was fresh water. Right. That was freshwater marsh. They'll move and they'll, yeah. Yeah. yeah they'll, they'll, but if you don't have that freshwater estuary, you're not going to grow the shrimp. You're not going to grow the baby pogies. Here, there's a perfect example. And that's another one. That, that's a whole podcast on itself. Is the men hating boats? And we need. Oh to, yeah, Duh, I, I got to come back that. and talk to you about we that. We need to do that because that's that's, that's, that's sickening. It's getting out of control. Yeah, way out of control. And I could tell you some stories on that, but the, they're complaining now that their total, let's call it their oil uh, catch or their oil, whatever you want to call manufacturing. That's let's say whatever it is. Let's say it's a billion pounds or a billion gallons of pogey oil that they make 10 years ago is now down to 10% of that because the size of the pogies they're catching are half the size that they used to catch. Why? Because we're overfishing it and because we don't have the marsh and we don't have the estuary. That's why. Be honest, guys. Even people that are making a fortune off of the fisheries need to step up what's and sickening be is the people that own omega and a lot of those companies they're south african and canadian companies that own them and they're making money off of our resources and so is somebody locally yeah some they they are too but the big money oh i agree the with big you. money if you that's really going to be spent somewhere is right. going at the us money, overseas the, that's the money's not staying locally no it's no, not but that's another that's a whole podcast but what i will say is yeah it is a whole podcast it, is. it, it really is, is. but what I will say, and I've I've learned this. Uh, actually, I, I originally heard it on Joe Rogan's podcast, but he was talking about how in the early 1800s, we 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 moved into the United States and we started killing uh, deer and stuff, and you could sell them, and we hunted North America almost to extinction. That That's said correct. White tailed deer were almost out of extinction. Hey. but now if you look, if you look at it. We have more white-tailed deer. I, I, I have a lot of customers that hunt. I don't hunt that much, but they say that there's more deer than there ever has been. And it's because we've learned how to manage it correctly. Well, let me do, and I'm, that's I'm, what we got to do the same thing with our oceans and our fisheries right now. We got to learn how. We got to figure out how to manage A perfect example, I never started deer hunting until I was 21 years old. And I hunted in Alabama. I belonged to a club that was called the Lost Cajun Hunting Club. Mm-hmm. I belonged there for six or seven years. Mm-hmm. I never shot a deer. I never. I wasn't a great hunter, but you go up in a tree, you sit in a tree, you pick your spot, you can see the rubs, whatever. Now you could probably they, go sit on the side of the road in Alabama. First of all, you couldn't shoot a doe back then because, and back then that was the way of thinking. And I never shot a deer. Period. In five years hunting, five, six, seven years hunting there, and then the then the the thinking of the biology biology of the biologist of Alabama started changing and say, you know what? We got way too many does going around here. We, we need to start taking a few does. Every state started managing and you're right. 
deer hunting now is better than it's ever been. And it's not because the deer are just happy and they're having fun and they're making babies and they're, they're just, you know, going all over the place crazy. It's because of management. Right. They're managing it They're managing correctly. it properly. Yeah. That's and what we have to do. hunters and fishermen, for the most part, I think fishermen are worse when it comes to when it comes to agreeing on managing. Oh, a hundred percent. They don't know what the hunters. hell. Everybody's got different data from different places. And, yeah, but oh. they really got to come to grips on that, and they really got to be. And I hate to use the word conservative, but they got to be more conservative and more proactive on the species. Right, because and that's what I find so odd political. about our our political system. I feel like it's weird to me that the hunters and the fishermen are the ones that do all the conservation but the minute that you start to talk about conservation with politics in mind they fi- they feel like you're a greenie or something like oh, that yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what i mean it's like no, you get grouped right. into that and it's like that's not what it is it's it's that i like you know what i mean it's like, it's like there's almost not a political party for us to stand under if you're talk if if my main concern is the fishery and what i have and what i've grown up around it's like there's almost not a party i can join on with <laughs> you know what I mean? No, and, you're, you're, and you're talking about you're today's right. politics. And, 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 and at some point, and I hate to say it, but to, at some point, the people that are on the side of the fence that say that there is no problem with keeping a 25 trout limit and a five redfish limit and keeping a bull red every day, they don't see a problem with that. They better wake up. Yeah. They better they better wake up. And I'm not, I don't. I know that's going to stir the pot and it's going to piss no, some people off, but it's some the truth. people do, but it's true. And the thing, but the thing is, is if we're doing this with the best intention in mind, people being on one side of the fence or other, that that's that's why I really wanted to make this podcast, you know, to get to get people to start thinking alike, and maybe eventually having a politician on on that can you know really see the way that we think and get laws the way that we you know that we think that they should you know. But I think when it comes down to, we just we just need to make limits that don't piss people off. And I'm like, not worried about people. I'm not well, worried about people Well, when I say that, off. it's not pissing people off, but... Let's you, make limits that are relative to the species, that protects the resource and continues our resource with the conditions that we have currently as far as our coastal environment by way of land, loss of land, whatever you want to call it, make it, right now it just doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's so, f- you know, it's, it's, it's so offsetting. It's, it's ridiculous. And yeah. if we can get, if we can regain that landmass, sort of say, yeah, that, that, that recovery w- and develop that incubator, that marsh. And like you said earlier, we've got way more people fishing now. So all those things got to go into consideration for the species the species are getting pounded every day right right but that's what that's what i was gonna that's what i just remember what i was talking about was so whenever we eat fresh fish or whenever somebody eats fresh fish it's way better than than whenever they were to freeze it or whatever so the idea is to keep less take care of it that's one thing i do if i keep like a a bigger red fish one over 25 inches i'll bleed it i do that for a lot of fish i'll even gut them sometimes and i'll tell customers while i'm doing that and whenever they see how much more care and you take a little bit less and it's it's like it it's worth a lot more you know what i mean and they'll i agree with you on that and, and don't take this the wrong way because i totally agree with you on that but i wouldn't make again 
I wouldn't make the limits on because fresh fish is better than let's say frozen fish. I want to make the limits on again the status of that fish. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but at the same time, I feel like when you get too involved with the data, it's a lot of it's not it's not accurate. I've, I, and I and I say that maybe scientists will agree with me. I'm no scientist. There's probably smart scientists that are way smarter than me. But to me, trying to guess how many fish are in the ocean or in our estuaries or whatever, that's no, insane to, to no think way. that there's you no can way. do that. So why don't we just make limits that like if it's too much for you, then don't don't keep it. But you I, know what I, I mean? I you gotta have something that that kind of reins us in on three yellowfin per person. Are you kidding me? Come on. You know, <laughs> it's getting I, ridiculous, I, man. I was more, I was more keeping it. I, I think more because the reality is we have less fish in Venice than we did, yeah, not that long ago. Even though it seems like it's still great, it is great. But you look at the inshore guides now, when they come in with their limit of redfish, and it's mostly guys that are fishing with shrimp with popping corks underneath, mm-hmm. uh, underneath the popping cork. They've got their limits consist of fish that are from 16 to 20, 23 inch fish is a big fish. Mm-hmm. So 18 to 21 inch fish, they're not targeting those fish. That's what they're catching because there's very few 24, 25, 26, 27 inch fish left in the marsh. And if you keep taking and taking and taking and taking, it, it's not an endless bounty. Right. That, so that's where my where my stance basically is. Look at, and I agree with you. I mean, I think that it. I think your point is is well taken. That you let's, only need let's to be take respectful. enough to eat. Let's let's, let's be, be respectful. respectful. You know what I mean? Let's yeah, be respectful. I, but you almost got to hit it with a, with with a double barrel shotgun. Hit it with you know the data that you have on the lost land and the, the amount of fish that are be, being taken and the limits that are there for years and years and years. And Never change more. them. <laughs> I mean. I'm, I'm not, are we missing something here, guys? I mean, yeah, we are. Get on the ball. Right, right. Or two cobia per, per per person. Like that. Those type of fish, I feel like, should be a boat limit. You know what I mean? Four cobia per boat. Five cobia per boat. You got them. You know what I mean? There's got to be something like that. But and it, 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 it can be if it's to me if you put work. to me if you put boat limits you get you get rid of that those big big that dock stigma. shots yeah those big big dock shots that that people want and they I've even I had people they'll put more people on the boat so they can keep more you know they put on their kids on the boat or whatever so they can keep more well, and they get a big a big dock shot so like why don't we start discouraging that and start encouraging boat limits that's that's just what I think and, go, and maybe my opinion will no, change no, 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 over no, no. time I think, no 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 I think you got I think you got a great opinion in fact you can go to my Facebook page or my website, and you'll never see a dock shot picture. Right. Yeah. Well, first I, of all, we I don't try to never do that. We, 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 don't, we don't bring in a lot rare, of fish yeah. to begin with. And if we do bring in fish, it's just enough for them to take home to enjoy. Right. But that's, that's what it should be. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've, got, you know, I've got guys that will fish, you know, for five days at a time, although you can only keep your three-day limit. Yeah, that's they're the thing. Not gonna it, go out and, they're not going to go out and catch five redfish per person every day right. and bring them in and take them in. They don't need that. Right. And right. they'll be the first ones to admit. It's funny. It's funny how the people that come from out of state to come down here, not all of them, but a lot of them are like, what's going on over there at the dock? I can't believe what I'm seeing. Yeah. I don't need that. I don't need to take home that amount of fish. What is this? It's, it's crazy. crazy. Yeah, it is. It's it insane. Is. 
and, and that's especially with like you know tuna somebody I don't care what you do with your tuna you freeze it for a long time you know it's not as good as when you first caught it especially tuna yeah, especially tuna never so I tell a lot of people you know try to try if, if you feel like you got a lot eat what you can fresh give a lot of it away you know but that's the thing we, we don't need to be filling all our neighbors freezers too <laughs> and so go book your own trip <laughs> But anyways, Mike, we're coming up on uh, two hours and Holy ten minutes. Mackerel. I told you an hour. It kind of got carried away, I'm sure. Holy but, uh, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. It was all good. I, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed this podcast with you. It was. It was a ton of fun. Um, and hopefully, we can do it again someday. Uh, anytime you want to. I've, I've enjoyed it tremendously. There's a lot of subjects that, that we, you can, and I can we can talk, talk about. about. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I wish you not only tremendous success with your podcast. I think it's a it's a very good thing that you're doing, and, and the reason why you're doing it is is even more interesting, and, 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 and reason why I'd like to see you be successful. But I, there's also, multiple reasons, but yeah, but yeah. But, I mean, it's, but you you're trying to educate people, and I love that, and I think that you know I wish you all the luck and success in your your guiding business as well. You're you're with a good group of guys. Um, just keep. Keep heading in the direction you're heading, and you know what you said. You, you, you're, you're, to me, you're already successful with that attitude. Right, right. I really do appreciate that, man. I have the, the absolute utmost respect for you and your boys. You know, with all you guys. And, and we appreciate. Mike's that always well. been really nice to me. I don't. I've only. I really only know one of your sons, but um. Both, both, both my boys will give you the shirt off their back. Oh, absolutely. But they're great. They're w- great. One thing. Great guys. They're very protective too. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're extremely protective, not only on the fisheries, but on me and. Yeah. I mean. They get it. They they get it. They since they were in high school. You can tell you raised them for sure. You know, since they were in high school, when they go out fishing, if they're not going to eat that fish tonight, they don't bring anything in. When yeah. they go out by themselves fishing. Right. Right. They they don't they not a limit. What's a limit? Yeah. We're not worried about that. And that and that's the thing. You know, I will touch on that. I want to feel like when people go get their limits and stuff, people whenever they're doing anything, they're just trying to do their best. So I get it for the guys that go out there and they feel like you got to go get your limit and blah blah blah. Like, I get it. You're just trying to do your best, and you feel like you're... Are you trying to do your best, or are you trying to compete against the other guides? That's Maybe that's it, too. There's part of that. Yeah, part of that, too. Yeah. I definitely get they're trying to beat... They're trying to do their... Like, that's what everybody's trying to, trying to do. That's what everybody's trying to do. But, they're just trying but, to do their best, you know? But hey, I've heard it so many times. But you got to do... I one shy of my limit. Damn it. <laughs> I was 24 trout. I didn't get... And my, my, my day sucked. What? <laughs> Did I just hear that? Right, right. Yeah, no, that's crazy. But uh, one last thing, if you would, just tell everybody where they can find you um, or any sponsorships you'd like to mention, um, any of that kind of stuff. I no, I mean, I, I, I'm very, people. very blessed and very fortunate that I have uh, some, obviously, some very good sponsors that have been with me for, for years, and I think in the saltwater market, that's very special. Can we talk, uh, just because we have a, a common sponsor, uh, I'll let you mention any of your sponsors, sure. but since we have Seaguar yeah. as a common sponsor, um, you know, Seaguar to me is, is night and day whenever it comes to tuna fishing, whenever it comes to a lot of different things as far as the best fluorocarbon. Would you attest to that as well? Not because they're my sponsor. It's no, a fact. it's a fact. And, I've and, seen I've seen people when they, they, when they the know ones, it comes to tournament day and they're sponsored by Usuri, <laughs> they're going to tell on you. They're the, the ones that that formulated and originated fluorocarbon. They did, yeah. And the one thing about, I'll say with Seaguar, and I haven't been with them as long. I was with another company for, for many years, and Seaguar basically 
<clears throat> let's just say, I don't want to use the word recruited me, but has been wanting me on their team for a while. And the opportunity came for both of us. And I'm so blessed and lucky too that it, it was all timing, yeah. all timing. But, and I, they're, they're fluorocarbon by far. And I don't think anybody, I think anybody in the industry that's in the industry itself in the manufacturing part will tell you that they have the best yeah. fluorocarbon on the market. I know. But they're also a, a company that is working to make their product better every single day. I mean, they, I've talked to them on different things. They're open. They want to make a better company. You know, most a lot of line companies, they get their lines made overseas. They yeah. put a label on it, and it's the same line as that other company over there under a different label. And right, right, right. Seaguar is a premium piece of equipment that I'm fortunate enough to be a part of now. And yeah, I consider I am myself too, man. very they're lucky awesome. about that. Oh, yeah, they're awesome. They're, like, they're, and they're great people. Because you'll ask any of the, even a lot of the tuna gods, if they use another fluorocarbon, they do it, but they know they know Seaguar is the best. <laughs> I mean, a lot of them will tell you that. And oh, it's, it, it's it, it, it truly is the best. That's no. why I said even, pe- even the manufacturers in the, biz- in the industry itself will tell you that they are the best. And I, I have one of my sponsors makes has line as well. And which which I'm that part of that sponsorship isn't with me, and they, they you know, they, and they have good stuff, but they know Cigar Cigar's the, the, he's not a man, but he is the man. He's the dude. Right, right, right. In, in the business. So any any more you want to go ahead and mention? Yeah, I mean, Strike King is 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 uh, we've got some cool things coming down the line with Strike King. We are working right now designing some new saltwater signature baits and they've always been a great freshwater bait company but i've been with them for over 10 years now but more in the promotion of their bait because i've always and i started that on my own and then they picked me up i think that all their baits especially with inshore when it comes to red fishing and trout they were originally designed for freshwater but it's a crossover bait you can pick up anything that they make and fish it in saltwater and be productive but we're coming out with some new lines of uh, Mike Frenette signature baits in saltwater line, which could be pretty cool. Uh, Ducket Fishing is, is uh, Boyd Ducket is a, a rod manufacturer and also professional uh, bass fisherman who started MLF and uh, went along with a couple other guys, but he's a very smart individual, but I'm fortunate enough to have a couple signature rods under their uh, umbrella as well. Uh, Power Pole, um, yeah, Mercury is a big sponsor of mine. Scale Tech Clothing. I mean, these and these are all sponsors of mine that are what I call business sponsors. It's true sponsorship. Right, right. And uh, they're great people. Who else am I forgetting? Because uh, I know I am. <laughs> um, oh, I got to look around here. <laughs> Angle coolers. I mean, Angle they're one coolers. of my one of my sp- my sponsors. And you know, the cool thing, there's so many coolers out right now. Obviously, Yeti's got a a big presence in the community because it was kind of a pioneer. Almost. You know, no, that's where that's they weren't. They weren't. This was the first company. Really? Absolutely. Ingle hmm. was the first company to design the a premium the, cooler. The Yeti style cooler. Ingle is, and there's. You can go on the internet and check. There's plenty of tests that Ingo still holds up ice better than, and I'm not I'm not here to bash anybody else, but 
They say we're sponsored by Yeti, so I'm gonna have to call bullshit. No, but, uh, no, but it's the truth. Hey, okay, well, it's the same thing as Cigar Line. They're the best. They're the best floor covers. Engel is the best coolers. It is. It's the truth. It's, it is what it is. It's, Yeti's not a bad cooler, but they're not the ones that started it. It, it is. Uh, you know, it's it's a brand. Yeah, it's a brand. And they've done a great job. Right. And it's a, and it's a great piece of equipment. It's not like they're inferior. Right. Right. They're not. But. These are the, this is the company that started it all. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, but, you know, and, oh, Lure Lock. Lure boxes, Lock. Tackle boxes. Oh, yeah, I've seen your videos on those Cra- things, Crazy. Man. Uh, look, I'm, I'm not even going to do it. I'm going to show you. I wish people at home could see. I'm just going to open up. I'm just going to open up this box right down in front of you. So he's haven't, opening up a box, guys. Very easy. I haven't done anything see. with it. I don't, but I don't it's, even. It's got some well, type of sticky stuff on the bottom. Yeah, it's called a sticky pad material. Sticky pad. And none of them will come out. Well, one did because one did, but like only one the idea is they don't move around and get all tangled well, the up. The reason why one one came out is because I actually was doing some videos and picking some up, and I just didn't put them back in place properly. No, but, but I see it though. They're yeah, I they mean, stick. It's, 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 I mean, hey, this is as big a topwater bait you're gonna fish inshore. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and so I mean, in, in the, the cool. How thing, new is that? Did that just new, come out? Is new, new, new. It's a couple years old, but. The, They've got they've they got a patent on that, and the the coolest thing about it, and again, people can't see it, but I want I want you to tell everybody that you're talking to. I'm gonna take this out, the mm, top water bait here. It is sticky. I'm feeling it right now. Feel that side. You'll feel no stickiness. Oh yeah, it comes no, out clean, huh? No residue, no smell. It, that's a soy-based material, the sticky pad material. Really. And wow. so you you have nothing on your base. And really, I put I I leave these like this. I don't even need dividers in this box if I don't want to. Yeah, that's kind of cool. But anyways, they're one of my sponsors too, so I'm very, very blessed on that, and I, and I know I've left somebody out. But all right, uh, well, know. tell people you can find you on Facebook, yeah. right? Yeah. Look uh, up Mike Fernet on uh, Facebook. Mike he, Fernet. He uh, always posts a lot and stuff. I really enjoy seeing your posts and your videos. Oh, thank so. you. I love doing the videos. In fact, I just started building a new fan page, and I put it up, and I just haven't directed everything to it, and it's uh, Mike Fernet Pro Angler on Facebook, and then my regular page is just Mike Fernet. You can find it easy. Right. And then... Uh, Your website, too? The website is laredfish.com. Okay. laredfish.com. And uh, that's very easy to find. Or you just go on to Redfish, Redfish Lodge of Louisiana. is on Facebook as well. And then they all kind of join each other. So it's... Right. Know, it's, you, you know what... you pro- promise you, you know way more about that stuff than I do. <laughs> but I'm a fairly easy guy to find. And, and you know, if you want to look at some cool videos and stuff on Facebook if you especially during this time when you're <clears throat> maybe not able not to working. work full time because of the, the situation that we're in in this country man go take a look at some of it because it's 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 just fun to, it's just fun to look at it right right alrighty Mike well with that we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up at uh, almost two hours and 15 minutes so it's an eight hour day today <laughs> well alright guys we're gonna go ahead and cut it off with that thanks for listening everybody Please give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram at Tunatown Talks. Also, if you'd like to book a charter with me, you can do so by visiting our website at mgfishing.com. That's Mexican Gulf website, where you'll find my online booking calendar with all my open dates. And remember, guys, always be safe while out on the water.